Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the Alex Manusas podcast. This week's guest is the sage-like man of very high wisdom and intellect, Michael Nathan Peppel. Michael is one of the most well-educated, well-read and well-considered and thought-out individuals I've ever had the pleasure to meet and have be a part of my life and I'm very grateful that he is a part of my life because I feel like I can turn to him with true moral quandaries and problems and he will offer solutions to them um so for me he's a I look to him as a leader as a, as a spiritual leader I look to him as as um a, a consigliere someone that you seek counsel from um so uh, he's a very valuable resource in my life and I love him dearly and we had a really great discussion like always. We covered topics of spirituality, obviously always, since uh, he's a, a student of Zen Buddhism and a practitioner of Zen Buddhism. Um, we covered alchemy, we covered geopolitics, race, we covered a bunch of very interesting topics. Um, so... I hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you do, there's also another two or three that I've also done with Michael, so just look in the backlog and you'll find them there. So without further ado, here is episode 51 of the Alex Manusas podcast featuring my friend and yours, Michael Nathan Peppel. That the Mahayana Buddhists say... Do you want to put your mic on? Okay. The Mahayana Buddhists say what? That um, their version of the Buddhists will come and say, actually... I just said that to you in order for you to be able to get a respite, but the journey is a lot longer. Okay, and this is like this parable that I saw on YouTube, and it's like the Buddha's, um, he's, he's walking with this man. Yeah. And he's walking, um, uh, he's going somewhere, I don't know where the destination is, and the mm. man's getting tired and weary. Yeah. And he says to the Buddha, like, how long until we get there? Yeah. And then uh, to, the, to the certain place. Mm. And then the Buddha says, just a few more steps. Yeah. And it's always like, just a few more steps, just yeah. a few more steps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess that's also a metaphor for like the, the process of death and rebirth, right? Because mm. people want to know, people want, is this my last birth? Yeah, yeah, is it my yeah. first? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 but it's yeah. like, it's not, that's not what it's about. Yeah, it's about yeah. just doing it. It's yeah. about just being it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's because it can be scary when you think that there's no end because it's like, it in itself can be like, that's what his symbolic suffering was. And when, when he began the journey, mm-hmm. he began because it was a constant cycle of birth and rebirth and he wanted to end it. Yeah. But then at the same time, he said that desire to end rebirth is also suffering. Yeah, it's an attachment. So, it, so it's like a double bind. It's a version. Yeah, I yeah. think, exactly. I think yeah. that when he started his journey, he realized the answer was scary. Most people wouldn't be ready to, to do that. They, w- they wouldn't be able to contemplate the idea that there is no end to existence. It's continuous forever and yeah. ever and ever. Yeah. So... He had to give them a kind of way for them to escape, but, but by telling them that actually, by the way, there is no escape. The real journey is constant growth and development, constant, constant, constant into perfection, a perfection that's it, like you're never going to reach, but you have to keep striving for it because the minute you stop, you drop all the way back down and you, you lose everything you've obtained. Yes, yes. I, I think it's like, uh, this is like a, a conclusion that I've come to through like being exposed to different substances that mm. take me into the unconscious, right? Yes. Essentially what they do, they just plummet you into the depths of the unconscious. Yeah. And there's positives and negatives with that because they can expose certain parts of your unconscious that lay dormant and yeah. you weren't giving uh, awareness to. Uh, but also they can take you, like if I throw you 
if, if I have you at the edge of a forest, you can kind of see where things are. Mm. If I put you right in the heart of it, mm. you don't. You're in complete chaos. Mm. There's no up. There's no down. There's no light. There's no day. There's no yeah. anything. Right. Yeah, yeah. And this what happens. You go straight into the depths, and that's what happened in my DMT trips. Like some things, I was just like exposed to just so much more information than I could possibly handle. Yeah. But one of the visions that I got, or one of the like. Uh, intuitive like uh, messages that I got is that it's a process of like expanding and contracting right yeah, yeah. and it's it's like a journey where you realize that you're God you go towards realization that you are God yeah. then once you realize that you like sit in Nirvana then you re-enter re again straight yeah. from the bottom and it's like just a it's just it's just a pulsating effect yeah. that happens yeah, yeah. and we perceive it in the physical world but it's a multi-dimensional kind of um, occurrence of phenomena right mm -hmm. uh, going from kind of spiritual to causal to everything but you see it even in the theory of Big Bang so the universe itself operates in that manner yes as in it will expand for a while come back contract into an uh, infinitely small point and explode and expand again and the universe will do this over and over again so even if you think in terms of the modern science viewpoint the universe is infinitely uh in terms of in terms of duration it's been it's, it's infinite years old yes. even though years isn't even a way to talk about the universe is beyond you know solar solar cycles it's a very very old system because technically it's it has no beginning because it's been constantly coming and and, and destroying and coming and destroying stuff over and over and over again so even in modern science they agree with that perspective yes and it's funny because that's the only way to lend any credence to theories or ideas is to put them through the lens of modern science, right? Yeah. And, and I think it helps sometimes. It definitely does help. It, it illuminates certain things, right? But at the same time, I feel like modern science can only take you so far because 100%. modern science is predicated on knowing the world through the five senses. Yeah. And even if you make instruments that go, you know, beyond your perception they're still um reporting back to the senses yeah right? yeah 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 yep. and there's certain things that you can't know through yeah. the physical yeah see like when you look when you speak to like neuroscientists and certain people they would argue against what you're what you've said and they said you, you can only know what is perceptible through the senses this is the only reality that can be perceived there's no other reality prove it and so then it's it's, it's almost like belief now it's in, a matter of in phase, terms right? of in terms of the, the the unknown the realm of the unknown or the beyond However, it's not even just really fully because there are people who've experienced this other. Like the Buddha. Like the Buddha, as well as me and you and many people, we've, we've experienced some level of reality that's not within the spectrum of just that normal five sense reality. Even if it is in the five sense, it's not always in this physical reality, mm. but it can be perceived and seen. So there, is, there are people who've experienced it and people will maybe try to explain it away through normal scientific means. But there's always a limit to which science can go because they mm -hmm. can't explain life. They can't explain what life is, how it comes about. They can't explain what the purpose of it is or what happens beyond death and how it, life itself begins in the first place because they can't create life. If scientists could get a rock and make it talk and create, make it become a living being, then it would give them more ability to be able to say we understand life and death. But they're nowhere near that stage now. So there is, there is a level of unknown where uh, science has to put their hands up and say we can't go beyond this mm. in, in reality science's best qualities is an observation it's able to observe and me measure and see Physical what things phenomena. are yeah but to explain why it does what it does or the beyond it, it cannot go into that realm no. it's not it's not what it's designed for and therefore it's it's um if 
it can't be measured then it can't exist mm. and it's superstitious yeah. and I guess that was what the you know during the enlightenment period mm -hmm. that was what led to the death of of god mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. um we can't measure god we used all our instruments all our mm -hmm. sophisticated instruments which were kind of stone age tools at the time mm -hmm. um and we, we can't find it so yeah. it, it doesn't exist and all these stories i hate to tell you but people can't walk on water they can't raise the dead so mm. that they, they were just all cons and and mm. and this is what it is and now everyone views spirituality with a cynical eye mm. everyone has a very cynical view towards spirituality and everyone is locked into this physical paradigm mm. where they believe that the only the only end to their suffering is through the gratification of one of their senses or, yeah. or some kind of desire or need so if I'm unhappy it just means that I just have to get married and buy a house and, and have children or buy a car or have sex or, or take this drug mm -hmm. it's never about just um, the truth is that suffering, the cessation of suffering lies beyond the physical realm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, that's, that's definitely, it's definitely truth in there. It's funny because the Renaissance uh, thinkers yeah. were all deep thinkers. Yes. And they, I don't think many of them would have claimed to be atheists. But what they claimed to be is that uh, the reason the intellect has to be at the forefront. Mm. Because during the, so the Dark Ages was a time, and the Middle Ages was a medieval period, was when the Catholic Church had control over what was true and what wasn't true. Yes. And they said that this whole stream of ancient knowledge, information of the, of the Greek philosophers, the Egyptian mystics, all these people, this was all pagan, heresy. You can't touch any of this stuff. It's just the Bible. And it's, this, is just, this is what you have to believe mm. in. So, you, so people kind of like lost a lot of connection to the scientific uh, understanding of the universe mm. based upon actual empirical experience. Only by the book was they allowed. So reason from the 1600s, this kind of period, uh, the age of reason, the Enlightenment era, they started to say actually the intellect can be used as a way to know what is and what isn't, not just the Bible, not just the, the, the oppressive, at that time, mm. Catholic Church. Mm. And so these people were studiers of the books, like I mentioned, the Hermetic tradition of Hermes Trismegistus, and, but also Plato, and all this doctrine of like Neoplatonism, Pythagoras, all these people. Mm. The Renaissance was the, re the re-emergence of the ancient knowledge that came, that was suppressed, now started to come out, and mm. people started talking about it openly. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a very slow process, because if you just came out and started saying any of this stuff, you would have been burnt at mm -hmm. stake, you would have been killed. Mm -hmm. But over time and time, slowly, drip by drip, drip by drip, they managed to start to get these things out into the open, and the consciousness managed to change. So mm. alchemy was, for example, one method for people to study these ancient mysteries through the allegory of um, changing lead into stone. Mm. That was all just mm. allegory, but it was all internal work and all they were dealing Wasn't with. Wasn't it into gold? Like into gold, yeah, what did I say? Into stone. Sorry. <laughs> lead into <laughs> the philosopher's stone. Which would be impressive. I, I'm confusing my different com concepts. So, to find the philosopher's stone in order to turn lead into gold. And, and that, that's a kind of internal me yeah, metaphysical yeah. This kind of This is to do with like the, the soul, essentially, uh -huh, to, yes. to transform, essentially, the qualities of the soul which is like lead which is a dead state into yes. a, a new type of soul which can travel and, and traverse the spiritual world like the astral body so to, so to get your body able to move and travel into the same dmt realms these are things that they wanted to experience yes so they did that through different allegorically and this actually comes from the arabian mystics so our, our, our european alchemy most of it comes from the arab community because and where does that come from the Arab, the Arab mystics? Yeah, did it originate there? From or? Greece. So, so and then that comes from Egypt. Again, and yeah, then that mixture. comes from a lost civilization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, um, basically, even though it's, it's, it's very ironic how we, we, the Europeans, had a 
dark ages, mm. but we're in like uh, I'm not sure which countries per se, but in the, the Arab community, like Afghanistan, Muslims, yeah, they the Muslim Iraq. people didn't have a dark age. They they studied all of this stuff openly, Plato and all this stuff. So they kept and they preserved the tradition, mm. and then that came back to the Europeans, and then they took it on board, and then later on the Muslims they went through their own dark ages where this stuff then became suppressed again so luckily it managed to move move over before it was lost or it could be completely lost yeah so yeah this is um it's an important thing to think about when we look at the like, the materialism of our age is in the motivators behind these movements that have led to scientific truth to be the truth they weren't materialists mm. and even though they were empiricists they believed in the observable universe should be experienced to be known mm -hmm. they still believed in a spiritual reality people That's like isaac newton was an alchemist first physicist second you know uh -huh. you know he's he one of the, i talked about the hermetic tradition one of the texts from there he was he has a translation of it he's a very famous translation mm. most people wouldn't know in the scientific community unless you studied the esoteric you would know isaac newton as somebody who was an alchemist and an astrologer but to the scientific community he's a physicist so a lot of these people were like Leonardo de Bruno one of the founders of the heliocentric system he was a hermeticist as well knowledgeable in, in all of these things mm -hmm. and you have like systems like uh, the Kabbalah the Jewish mystical tradition and this was very influential people were very intrigued mm -hmm. by this kind of like version of Christianity or G Judaism or Christianity which was mystical you know at that time in, in the 1600s it was very interesting so these thinkers like the Royal Society, for example, were founded by Freemasons mm. and Freemasonry is based, at least in those days, was a mystical tradition. Mm. Um, but today we've kind of like, for whatever reason, we've moved away from that understanding of the depth of the soul. Like the soul is not something that's even talked about. People talk about God, hardly anyone talks about the soul because mm. everybody has a direct connection to the mystical reality, which you could tap into at any point in time if you so chose to. Everybody has a Through spiritual practice, life. Through practice, right? Through practice, yeah. You know, I, some people would say that some people are, have uh, a better connection, pre, you know, inherently. Yes. Some people may say that some people have no soul. I don't know. I, don't, I believe that you everybody... You ginger people. <laughs> <laughs> Joker. Uh, so, yeah, because uh, there, there, is, there is claims that there are people who have no souls, you know, whatever that may be. But, yeah, I do believe that everybody has a direct connection. Otherwise, you wouldn't be alive if you didn't have a soul, in my opinion. Um, unless you're some sort of machine. Yes. But, yeah, so this is not something that's talked about even in churches, in mystical traditions. It's more... Soul is not. The soul is soul. The teaching of the soul. Even within, like, religious people, they're not focused really on their living soul here and now. Yes. Often they focus on the afterlife or the good deeds. Yes. But, you know, any, t any time if you're willing to seek it, there, there is a direct spiritual life within you at all times. And I, it would be nice if more people would contemplate this teaching yes. as a means for happiness. Yes. I mean, I, I think that that's what gets conflated the most in, in religions through the word of prophets, right? So mm. Jesus Christ talked about entering the, king, the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And people took that to mean that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Yeah. But he wasn't talking about that. The kingdom of heaven is what the Buddha called Nirvana, for yeah. example, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and he, it's, it's a... The constant theme that plays out where it's like you must give up your attachments to the physical world in mm. order to enter that world yeah. um, you must give up your, tr your cravings and your aversions and all that kind of stuff and mm. Jesus said that in as many words yeah. in different ways mm. and he used his own life um, his own metaphors and his own parables and stories and myths but the problem is that people took his word 
at face value mm. and then they also made him a symbol of god mm. so so i mean i've got a picture of jesus up there i'm just as guilty mm. but uh, but for me that serves as just like a reminder you know yeah, it's yeah. a high ideal just like i've got the buddha up there it's yeah. another high ideal yeah. it's like yeah. it's like to to be to be this like uh, like this impossible to reach ideal yeah. and to strive for that however this is not like these symbols they're not it yeah 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 mm. and i guess that's what muhammad was fighting against when when he was living in his time in uh, in saudi arabia right mm. because there was rampant idolatry mm-hmm. and people were worshiping the idols instead of um remembering that there was only one god yeah and he he quietly had this opinion that there was only one god mm. and he, he, it was heresy to believe this complete mm. heresy and you go down to the Kaaba, there'd be like a, a billion like idol statues you know yeah. like if if for example like a tree um stopped you from getting run over because the 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 tree like the car ran into the tree instead of you then you'd build a statue of a tree and worship it this is my god you know yeah, yeah. um and then eventually uh Muhammad was becoming more and more outspoken with his ideas of there only being one God. Um, he got a message through because he, he'd escape uh, the city and go into the into a cave mm-hmm. like in the desert and meditate. Mm-hmm. And then someone saw him one day. Like th- there was a guy who was assigned to follow him. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day he was like panicked after he came back, and it's because he had some kind of encounter with whether it was his internal voice whether it was his higher self whether mm. it was dark angel gabriel because that's mm. who he said it was right mm-hmm. um and he wasn't the same after that and he was told that his task is to, is to deliver the, the the word to the people right yeah. um and and yeah and, and and there is truth in that there is there is only one god it's only one it's only you it's your awareness right mm. because once your awareness ceases and this is the rationale behind it then there is no more existence and it's like Carl Jung wrote, wrote we're co-creators with God yeah it's the same kind of thing right yeah. yeah yeah I think that like a lot of people would say what you said is like blaspheme mm. it was like heresy because it's going against the orthodox so even though we may agree on our versions of like of uh, like religions views there is there was always multiple interpretations mm. of these things but in terms of the idea of God like in Buddhism like they generally t- try not to view the ultimate reality in terms of a personality uh-huh, like yes. God, because it, c- it can create confusion and in fact in general in especially early Buddhism there's a movement away from too much focusing on ultimate reality but the path towards it instead because when you start to talk about ultimate reality people can get too fixed on philosophizing the structure of nature of reality rather than actually making the progress towards removing your own you know suffering or yes. your own weaknesses you have to actually walk the path, not talk about it. So um, in terms of like my views, like when you look at, for example, the audience traditions, Christianity and in Islam, mm. within Islam specifically, you do have a group of people who f- have this kind of perspective. They're called the Sufi, mm. the Sufi mystics. Mm. So in general, you have mystics of every tradition. Yes. And mystics are those who don't see a deity outside themselves, which with a separate personality, as being the most high. They see a type of uh, God or Godhead which is beyond personality beyond ego well, how do you define Godhead? well I get, it's, it's Godhead is just because I've just heard a word. the term it's before just, it's just like it's me being just linguistically playing games okay, like it okay. really is the same thing but okay. generally when they say Godhead yeah. they kind of are so, it's something a step back beyond the concept of God because okay. like the idea of the Jewish God is, comes from the idea of uh, Yahweh so Yahweh was a deity within the Canaanite tradition 
and this God was then taken to be the one true God. Mm-hmm. But then more and more ideas around him grew to make him become like the actual creator of the whole universe and blah, blah, blah. But he still has that qualities of a, of a man because gods were essentially were men or women who were seen to be divine, like great kings. This is, or this is a model for the concept of God. But it's too human. And God ha- it has, is beyond human, way beyond and beyond human comprehension. Yes. So often they use the word Godhead, specifically in Jewish mystical traditions, to refer to that which is, which is beyond even God, the concept of God, which is really what we'd say God, but it's just that word gets tainted with ideas about, you know, names. So in, in Jewish tradition, if you see mm. the Jews write God, they write G, capital G, hyphen D, uh-huh. because they never actually say the word, they don't like to say the word God. And even the word Yahweh, they don't say Yahweh. They say they have the letters Yed, Yod, Head, Vod, Head, Tetragrammaton, because they don't want to say the name of God. Because the more and more you talk about God as like he's a name or a person, the more it becomes personalized. Mm. And then you can start to think of it like, you know, because Jesus was another example of an anthropomorphization of a God where he literally becomes a physical person. Yeah. And then it becomes dangerous because then you think of God in terms of personality. But you, it's better to think of God, like you say, as an ideal, as a perfection itself as you, as you walk towards. And you do see that in Islam and in, in Judaism, to some degree, the 72 names of God. And these words of God are like perfect or truth or instead of like as a, as a person. Light. Light. Yeah. These, kind of like, these kind of qualities that you work towards is, mm. is, is more applicable. But definitely, I think that when we start to look at the, the mystics, we do start to see an interpretation of God or truth that pervades every single religious system. As in, there is time, there's a way and a method to interact with the divine, which is not through superstition and not through worship, through external means, I'm here, you're there. But then as the individual person has a direct gateway to the divine, almost you can say internally, and awareness is an important theme. Mm. Because the, the issue is the gap between the mind and spirit. Mm. Because where, it, where do they, where's their border? Where's the edge where the mind becomes spirit, spirit becomes mind, and, and same with the body. Mm. Where, where do these things cross over? And that's something that takes investigation because you can talk about it, but then it becomes theory and it's dangerous. Nevertheless, um, in certain traditions, the hermetic tradition, like I mentioned a lot, because hermetic tradition, for people who may not be aware, it's a, tra- it's a tradition that began in Egypt, then moved to Greece. But it became the foundation of a lot of uh, thinking, including people think, you know, Platonic tradition and Pythagorean tradition. Mm. It's an ancient tradition that began in Greece as the fundamental like truth behind all truths. And it manifested in terms of um, what's called the Hermetic Canon. And, and so a lot of traditions... Canon meaning like uh, a tenant like or a book. Okay. Yeah, so it's like, um, they have, it's called the Hermetica, I believe, is, is the, the body of teachings. It was found actually in Nakamadi in Egypt by chance, I believe. Um, they were just digging in a pot. They found, they found some random scrolls. And then this, this, all the Hermetic teachings were found there. Wow with them like platonic teachings and gnostic christian teachings because the hermetic school no one really knows what the school was really like there's not we know about the neoplatonists we know about the gnostics but this is the more it's later okay this is like 200 a.d between zero and 200 a.d you had a movement where you had these three major schools Mm. who were were, uh, competing the gnostics and the gnostic christians and the neoplatonists would often debate each other <clears throat> and uh, say so your 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 school talks nonsense and my school is right and, you know this kind of stuff they would, they would debate each other. Don't just talk. Yeah, but the, the hermetic the hermetic teachings were around at that time, okay. and they and they form a similar link between these two. But the actual hermeticists we know nothing about mm. to this day. 
a lot of the mystics, though in the Western stream, uh, for example, you, the, the books you mm. talked about, John Anthony West, mm. R.A. Swallow de Lubitz, they um, revere the Hermetic tradition mm. and they see Thoth, the god, Egyptian god Thoth, as being Hermes. He was a precursor to Hermes, right? Oh, no, he was Hermes. Yes. So what they say is Hermes uh, um, dies and he's born again. So Hermes is just the, is the Greek word for Mercury. And yes. Mercury, is, they see, is just the Roman word, same god for Thoth. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So they see they see different gods appearing in different yes, traditions. Yes. So that's why he's Trismegistus. One reason is because he's thrice great. What's tr Trismegistus? Th uh, thrice great. Okay. Hermes the thrice great. Okay. The great, okay. the great, the great. But okay. also because he's appears everywhere. So he's he's, he's in Greece as Herm has Hermes. He's yeah. in Rome as Mercury. He's in Egypt okay. as Thoth. And that is that is one of the properties of Mercury as well. Exactly, Quicksilver. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like in alchemy as well. It forms a very very important tool. Yes. And Egypt and Thoth is, is supposed to be the originator of magic. And uh, alchemy comes from the word al and chem, kemet, it was a word for Egypt. Mm. So Egyptian... Egypt What's al, what does al mean? Al, al I think it's a, a word, it's a, I think Arabic word, but linked to yeah. God, I'm not sure. Okay. But they say the, al, the word alchemy comes from the word for in Egypt. Mm. Mm. Um, so thought is a very important figure for the originator for magic and for, it seems to be the mystery school. So he seems to be an ancient initiator in Egypt, to initiate people in the pyramids. And obviously it's not most likely the ibis headed being called Thoth, because even people think of Thoth as a god. He was not a god, he was a man. Oh really, he, he existed? Man. Well, no, who knows, okay. but in terms of their own mythology, okay. he was a man who, through wisdom, operated with the gods. All the rest, Osiris, and even the word gods is incorrect, they were called netters, I think. I yes, think. yes. So they weren't called gods, they were netters. Uh, Osiris, Isis, Horus, they were all netters. But Thoth was a human being who, through his wisdom and intellects, could operate with the gods in the use of magic. So he was different from the rest. Mm. Um, mm. So the Hermeticists, um, I forgot even what I was originally talking about, but this, this stream of knowledge is like, is saw uh, the universe as being mind, mm. as all is mind. That's what we were talking about. The whole, the, everything is mind. Spirit is mind. Mm -hmm. Matter is a manifestation yes. of mind. It's yes. a creation of mind. Not even a creation because it doesn't exist separate from mind, mm. but it's a, it's a projection or a manifestation off of it. So this world is illusory, but not as if there's like a separate reality which is real. This world operates in as a project, as like a dream. Yes. Like so, when you have like Vishnu, Vishnu dreams. Uh, 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 I think he either dreams or Brahma comes from its navel and creates the whole universe uh -huh. while he's dreaming. Uh -huh. And then in the dream, oh, he wow. appears as Krishna or different avatars. Wow. So in the in the Indian tradition, this universe is a dream. In yeah, Buddhist tradition, yeah. in, in certain schools. There's a school called the Yoga Chara School of Buddhism, the Yoga School of Buddhism. They believe the universe as being mind. It's consciousness only school. That's what they call Chitta Matra. It's consciousness only school wow. of Buddhism. And this is kind of the school that I kind of study a lot of because I, I agree mm -hmm. with that kind of version of reality. Mm. So when you start to see, like, especially the Hermetic view of all is mind, mind is spirit, and you understand the Buddhist view as well as like the Buddha nature and Buddha reality and all these complex terms for Buddha and mind and the universe. You, you start to see an un, a stream of wisdom that's found pretty much in every tradition but yes. with different names and that's that's where I look at to find the truth and then you see it play out in the form of mythologies everywhere yes, right yes that, that's another thing yeah yeah mm. it's funny you were talking about how everything is mind and and I mean uh, I, I was um I was sitting one day and I was getting ready to go to work and I was just chilling for like 10 minutes before I left yeah. and I was in this mood of like <clears throat> Oh man, I've got to go to work, it's a fucking nine hour shift. It's long, you know, I, I was kind of feeling a bit oppressed, you know. Mm. And then 
and I was in that state of mind, even though I was in my room and there was no impending uh, stress on me. There was no anything like mm. I, I was sitting there and instead of just being, I was in that uh, space. Then as soon as um, I get a phone call from the guy who was my, man who was my manager mm. and he said, uh, you don't have to come in today if you don't want to. And then I got really happy. And it's like, it's like nothing has changed. Mm. Nothing has changed in mm. my, in my, uh, in my reality. The only thing that's changed is, um, the, the state of the mind. Yes. Uh, yet here I was from like low to high, you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 This is a, this is a thing that, uh, is true and yeah. often gets neglected that our, your mind, a lot of, a lot of your reality is created by your state of mind. Mm. And if you change your state of mind, you can change your reality. Um, and that's where mental health comes into play, just on a basic level. You know, a lot of people suffer from depression in the in, in the first world country. People think that this should be the happiest place in the world yeah. because we have everything. But but then we find that often the more you have, the less happy you are, which just doesn't make sense based upon this world, this view that things have qualities in and of themselves. Mm. And you can get those things, you get those qualities, you get that pleasure from an external object, mm. whatever it may be. But it's not true. And so when we, like within, within Buddhism, there's a, there's a concept called emptiness. Mm -hmm. It's often thrown around a lot and used incorrectly. Mm -hmm. It's mostly because the tradition, like you say, mythology is specifically designed to veil the truth it, with, it, with sim symbolic, symbolic language. But emptiness means that things don't in and of themselves have qualities. You put qualities into things. You, own, you put yourself into it and then you get that feedback from it. Mm. We do that all the time. It's the way the reality works. Mm. So, if, for example, whatever this may be, you know, it may be, for example, a book. Two people, well, like a crystal. Yeah. People will see this crystal and get completely different reactions from yeah. it. One person may love it, one person may hate it because it doesn't in itself have any inherent qualities that give you happiness or joy. Yeah. But you yourself put that joy from it. And understanding this means that the joy therefore comes from internal. All happiness comes from inside that we put into external things in order for us to extract it back again. It's this process that we do from, from being a baby and, and from, from, from going into the, uh, being one with the mother, mm -hmm. become separate, mm -hmm. and then eventually trying to become one with the universe once again. Okay, and, and that relates to Pythagorean numbers, right? How so? Okay, so I've been reading about Pythagorean numbers and mm. maybe it's because I've been thinking about it, but it's the idea that um, and they're present in Egyptian sculptures and everything and it and Pythagoras actually got the numbers from the Egyptians mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it wasn't like he came up with them mm -hmm. but it's the idea that um, so for example every number has a symbolic representation yeah and they go up to 12 mm -hmm. uh, I'm only up to nine right now because there's a lot to read for each number but it's the idea that you have one which is unity so, so totality is monarch yeah right and then you have the primordial scission which from one creates two yeah and then from two you instantly get three which is the relationship from one to two right yeah. mm -hmm. and then you get the, the physical world mm -hmm. then life which is number five and then six is time and space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then seven is growth um eight is a, a second um like a second splitting i guess okay um a second di division um but it's interesting because you said um that it's this process of like like you you put you put something into something and it gives it back to you yes. and you were talking about like how you separate from the mother so you separate yes. from one become two yes it's, it kind of like re relates into that yeah um, yeah with the whole number thing is for example in the Taoist tradition yeah. um, they have this teaching where at first there was Tao beginning there was Tao from the Tao, Tao means the way or Dharma right both yeah yeah exactly the the universal law whether in English at first there was the Tao, the universal principle, and then there became the principle of one, and then there was one, then there was two, 
from the two there was three mm. and then from three became the ten thousand things mm. but the ten thousand things is essentially all of reality but what all of reality is aiming to do is return to Tao, mm. to return back to the cosmic way. To one. And it's uh, beyond even one, because it's from what became one. You could say zero, but it's actually non-dual or non-numerical. Mm. So it's the, the source of numbers, you could say, where that came from. And, um, <sighs> but the only way for, it's like that we talked about at the beginning, this cosmic kind of ebb and flow from, from in to out to out to in. Mm. And, the universe operates in this way, but to do that, you have to become ignorant. The universe needs ignorance as a precursor before wisdom. Yes, it's like because you need darkness to appreciate light. light precisely, yes. and you need and uh, the universe operates standardly in this way, and so we are coming to this world ignorant. But then we are not meant to remain ignorant. We're meant to move towards wisdom, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and then and then perhaps in the future life we decide to become ignorant again, and we, we do this do all you over again. That Who happen? knows? Think? Becoming wiz- becoming wise. Uh, so, so it, do you think the idea is like you develop a certain degree of awareness in this life, you yes. die, and in the next one, you'll kind of pick up where you left off, or do you think that you'll you could just plunge into complete unconsciousness? To be honest, I have no clue. Yeah, like, I I I, on, I, per, I generally I generally don't like to think too much about uh, what I will lose at death. I don't know what I'll lose. Yeah. I just focus on my main focus in wh- whilst alive is okay. If I die, mm. whilst I am here, mm. I want to make sure that I leave this place better off than when I than when I came in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I just want to do just know that I did f things up. I come and I, I spread good and joy and love in the world, mm. and and then whatever happens after that, I have no clue. So it's it could be possible that once you die, that there is some continuum that continues onto another life or another mm. stage another state mm. it could be possible that you 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 know you lose a lot and you you start all over again mm. it could be possible that you are like a tree and when you die you don't actually continue as your existence but another existence continues from you mm. so it's not even really you anymore mm. it's a continuation of you you know what i mean yeah. so because in buddhism they say that there is no self well people interpret it that to be the case but what it means is that a person essentially is a continuum of phenomena and so what we think of as a self that doesn't exist from life to life, yeah. but there is a continuum of a stream of something which continues from life to life. Yes. And this stream, this whatever it may be, enters into a baby mm-hmm. in the womb mm-hmm. at a period of time in the stage of development, and then this forms a consciousness mm-hmm. as how it grows. Now, um, I, I don't know how it all works, you know, the soul or whatever. I have no clue, you know, I don't know. But nevertheless, I, I do know that there is a, something that we can do whilst alive. Yeah. And I, I like to think that, um, that I will come back here only because it means that I, I can't leave this state worse. Because if, if, if I'm part of the problem of this world, mm. I will then have to come back and face the consequences of my actions here in this world. You mm. see what I mean? Mm. So I think that if you think that you're going to go and never come back, you can just leave this world messed up. You can just destroy this world. You, can, you, can, you don't care what the economy is like. You, know, you can just say whatever my, you know, my, my, my grandchildren would deal with this world is mm. in, in poverty. Mm. But no, I think that the world... Everything in terms of spiritually, economically, naturally, in terms of the environment, we have to take care of this planet because we're going to come back, mm-hmm. and then you're going to have to live in there, and then and vice versa, and continue and continue. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to think of it in that ways because it makes you more responsible in how you live your life. And also, just because 
I mean, you make a decision in your 20s or 30s that you're not going to come back, so you're going to live whichever yeah. way you want in the most self-gratifying yeah. way. That's going to catch up on you before you even die and get mm. to the next life, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just hard to... So how, how do you reconcile the fact that most people will never reach a sufficient state of awareness to even better their lives, yeah. let alone the rest of the world? Yeah. Like, how do you cope with that in this world? It's just something you have to accept. It's just a reality because you... you now, I like to be optimistic mm. and believe that many people will like at least get some level of wisdom. Mm. But the truth is, is that you're going to have a majority of people who are going to prefer comfort. And to be aware is not comfortable. Because wisdom is, is like facing discomfort. 100%. Especially in our lifetime. Because like, there's different types of errors you could be in. You could be in an era in which everyone around you was awake. You was the baby born into the world. And everyone around you was wise. And so being wisdom is easy. Because it's the status quo, mm. but we don't we don't live in that kind of world. No. The status quo is to be ignorant, ignorant, to be ignorant of certain things, and to be aware of certain things. But nevertheless, to be aware of your own flaws, your own you know evils, you know all these kind of things are things that you're not supposed to focus on. Even like people like death, people don't want to th talk about death. Instantly, you're just forgetting about a very important part of life. So we don't, we don't live in a world which embraces wisdom. We live in a world pretty much that embraces fear. And uses fear as a tool for control in general. That's a standard method. Mm -hmm. So when, you, when we're born into this world, it's very easy to get sucked into um, into what everyone else is doing. It's comfortable, it's easy. And in general, everyone tells you, for example, to you know live a certain way of life. There's, there's kind of like a predestined ideal. You, you know, you go to school, maybe you go to uni, you get a job, you get married, you get a house. You know, all this kind of stuff. Most of that stuff is superficial. There is you, you don't really have a uh, general kind of system to say you to tell you to go inwards and find out what the purpose of your life is. And that's is. what the cause of all this widespread suffering is, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I, I, I believe I, it may, for me, one of the main causes of suffering is not just the fact that we don't live a life where we're told you need to find the purpose and meaning of your life because that, that it has to be done intelligently because you can't tell everyone just to go just do whatever you want, but our leaders are to blame. So our leaders are the ones who are like parents. You, you know, your parents are supposed to guide you mm. towards becoming independent and becoming free and not tell you how they want to live your life. Mm. You see, like, for example, in certain families where they, where they dictate the, the life of their child before they're born. <laughs> so Yeah, they've got a life path, a path already for planned you. out for them. Yeah, yeah, and they didn't ask you that no. when you were born. What, is this okay? Yeah. Do, you, do you like this path or do you want this one or and, whatever? And that's what the Buddha's story was too, right? And precisely, yeah. yeah. So um, it's, ironically, it's funny because this comes back to the, a lot of the Greek tales of the oracles and that the very way, um, thank you, the very nature of knowing where you want your child to go and having these two paths and you dictating where you want to go can actually make them take the other path because the the the, the father so the father of the buddha had two choices your yeah. son can become a buddha 
or a wheel-turning king, a great king, magnificent, yeah. the greatest king. And a spiritual ever. leader, I think, the, the angel said, right? You might be right, yeah. yeah no, I think it said a complete enlightened one. Uh, uh, yeah, did he Buddha, say that? Yeah, actually a Buddha was yeah, the word, yeah. yeah. Or a king. Yeah, or a king. Of, a, of a, a, a wheel-turning king, which yeah. is like, you know, a great king. A worldly king, yeah. Yeah, so um, he said, uh, my son's not going to become an, uh, like a spiritual leader. Or, or, yeah, <laughs> go off in the wilderness, walk around naked. Is he going to do that crazy stuff? No, he's going to become a king. Yeah. So, but what he did in order to make sure he never ever got any chance of seeing the, that version of reality, yeah. he essentially created, a, uh, kept him in the palace until he was about like thirty years old, where yeah. he didn't see anything outside. Is that how old he was until he left? Yeah, he was about maybe twenty-eight or like yeah. thirty. I think yeah, so six years, twenty-eight, twenty-six, twenty-eight around yeah, the time. Yeah. He, he so anyway, this is just myth. This yeah, didn't happen. Yeah, of course. Of yeah, course. but um, the story is is that he kept him in the palace because there's no way he didn't know about old age, sickness, suffering. For like over 20 years like you know so, so he kept him from seeing he didn't know anything about old age he didn't know about sickness he didn't know about pain he didn't know about these things at all he lived in complete luxury and he was pampered with young beautiful vibrant yeah all the time and anybody old who got sick had to leave the palace yeah. the kingdom and there but eventually he this this made him uh venture out and he saw all those sights and he was more shocked the shock of seeing uh sickness old age and death when he ventured out from the palace was worse because he didn't know they existed and this completely made him say, you know what, throw everything, I need to go, I need to leave all this behind. Well, like, initially he went out, and I don't know what he encountered first, whether it was yeah. sickness or old age, yeah. but he got so terrified that he had to scurry back into the fucking kingdom again yeah, yeah. And, and go far away from it. But then he had that little voice in his head mm. that was like, you know, that, that stuff is out there, what yeah. else is out there? And he yeah. had to come out again, yeah. he got mm -hmm, scared again. Mm -hmm. It's like this, this, the rule of three that mm -hmm, exists in stories, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And for him, it was the, it was the fourth. <laughs> That actually made so that there was the three old age sickness and death. Yes. But then on his fourth exertion or sight was yeah. the sage. Oh, Somebody, sure, sage. Yeah, and then that said, okay, that is the path for, that he will take oh. to escape oh. the, these, these previous three. Wow, wow, mm. it's amazing because that story is archetypal, right? Mm. Because I went through that exact same story. Yeah. Like I, I had a father who had developed a kingdom. Yeah. And it's interesting because like, I ascribe the archetype of king to my dad. Mm. Um, and it's not always like a benevolent king. Like mm. it can be tyrannical at times. And it was in the sense that he wanted me, from the moment I was born, he wanted me to take over his business. Yeah. And to, to like inherit the, the throne basically, right? He even called me that. He called me the fucking successor to the throne mm. in, a, in a kind of jokey way. But there's a reason that, that that came into his mind, right? Because that's how he saw it. And and as far as I was concerned, the kingdom, which was his world, like his business and his world around that was safe. I knew the parameters of it, I had security, I had financial stability. But there was nothing in there that was going to make me grow and I knew that there was an itching inside of me to see what was out there. And then that was when I came to London like three and a half years ago now mm. um, and truly decided to like step away because I could have easily just said I'm going to stay in the kingdom um, and I've stepped away and in a way like because I'm reading Jung and the archetypes and stuff mm. like that and the archetype that I identify with at this moment in my life because that always changes from kind of the periods that you're going through is that of the hero or the explorer so it's yeah. like i feel like i'm out on a quest to gain knowledge and see things experience things and i feel like ultimately i'm going to bring it home mm. ultimately i'm going to remain i'm going to return to my kingdom like eddie murphy and coming to america mm, yeah. with with and i'm going to do the thing that my dad wanted me to do but in my own personal way yeah and then i guess that, like that's the idea that every archetype uh, has a telos which is like an, an end mm. and the end of the hero is the homecoming mm. or death 
mm. it is that too, you know. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. So jo- um, yeah. Joseph Campbell yes. talks about you know the hero's journey, and partly I think everybody on some level will take this hero's journey or should take this hero's journey. Was just is this finding who yourself? It's the most common archetype, I believe, right? Yeah, I think most frequently experienced. I honestly believe it's the fundamental art, art archetype. For, at least for some period of time yes. you need to do this you need to find yourself even if it was you just to be defined and, and go out when your parents said no mm. and then you go on a little journey and you come back whatever it may be mm. it could be small scale mm. but like it's throughout myths it's it's a journey of the spiritual spiritual pursuit of, of finding knowledge of who you really are so in terms of like that it's very common uh, in terms of like archetype for, for people then I would say it's the most common because it does link directly to the spiritual journey but even on a small scale I do think that it's necessary because like we're seeing this uh, a lot happening in the world today specifically because there's kind of like a a new kind of revolution going on where people don't want to be bound by tradition and this is a good thing and it's also a bad thing Mm -hmm. because the two go hand in hand like we see in Japan a lot of their tradition is being lost because their children don't want to inherit what their parents did for example let's say like a tea ceremony it's an ancient and it's like a practice it's a very very intricate and it's a it takes training so this is something that's passed on from from teacher from father to son or from mother to daughter I, can't, I don't know too much about that specific ceremony but you're finding a lot of these ancient practices are being lost because the parents let me give you one example so my um tendai teacher he's he's uh, got the he's the head head of like this monastery his son does not have any interest in Buddhism whatsoever. Mm. And he's, he can inherit this whole monastery, everything, all this stuff. Mm. But he's not interested. Now, some people will say, that's a shame, you know, it's sad because this tradition may die out mm. because there's no one to inherit to. But at the end of the day, he can do whatever he wants. The, the, the child has the ability and freedom to be able to be who he wants to be. So you have to understand it from that perspective. Now, we, what, what it means is, is that the old ways of doing things in the past are now not, no longer applicable. Mm. Now it's no longer a hereditary base. You know, we've moved away from hereditary kingdoms in terms of uh, the running of nations. We've moved towards elections, mm. and we can debate how that works. Mm. But in general, we've moved, moved towards people who are adequately fit for the role, the ones who should get the role. So, in, so really, a lot of a lot of like the Japanese traditions haven't caught on to this new method that you need to find people who are willing to learn. And funnily enough. Most of those people are found outside Japan. Mm. So this is a very weird way things are happening because most of Japanese culture is being embraced by non-Japanese people. You know, most people, when I went to Japan, I was practicing ninjutsu at the time. It was all foreigners. There was hardly any Japanese wow. here. Things here and figure, damn, you've got this guy who's highly revered and prestigious head of this, this school and no Japanese people hardly have had any interest whatsoever. When I was also in Japan, you know, in the temple, mm. when I was there on my last trip, I was there in um, in Gifu in, in Gokuji Temple. I was, it was just me. It was just me. I was there for like a month by myself, and I was in an area like this, a residential area. There was this a temple, right? You know, in the middle of the, in the countryside in the mountains. But there was loads of homes around it. Not one person came to the temple once. And I was thinking, this is crazy. This is like you've got. I'm there by myself in this giant hall with all these Buddhas and statues and it's it's a wonderful temple, it's it's all mine, Mm. it's just for me me alone. But no one has any interest in 
going to the temple or interacting with Buddhism because they're not interested in the culture. But then you've got people traveling all across the world from the UK to come mm. to see this thing. And you, you've just got it just over there by your windows. Oh, wow. oh, there's a temple there, whatever. You, you don't care. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting and it's a changing of times. But a lot of people need to like understand the way things are going and be able to operate in a way in which they're able to keep what they're doing going in accordance to the times while still allowing people to be free according to the time. I, I think it speaks to the cyclical nature of uh, the evolution of societies mm-hmm. um, that, uh, so for example, like my dad, what his business is like, it, what his business is, is uh, essentially like hospitality. Like yeah. He has a bar, like mm. cafe slash bar. And, and he has a certain way of doing things that really worked well for the time that he was operating in. So, yeah. so when he was kind of like at the height of his like success, it was like the 90s, like probably 80s to just before 2000s right and um, and he was working the way he was working and it was really really successful and then suddenly the conditions changed and his way of working slowly became less and less relevant to the point where now he is a dinosaur right Mm. and he cannot see that and um, I can only see that because I've been I've been at the forefront of say like the hospitality and I know what the practices are and I, I carry out these practices now and this is like kind of like how I earn my, my bread and butter mm. um, but the funny thing is that when I get to my dad's age my son is going to think that I'm a dinosaur and my, my practice will no longer be viable mm. and it's the same thing as like the story of Pinocchio where his father gets swallowed by the whale right mm. and he's there and and instead of trying to escape the whale he's fishing mm. and and so it just shows you like that he's um he's he's he no longer has the capabilities to be competent and escape that that position right yeah. which is what his imperative should be mm-hmm. um so he's essentially his um yeah the the time has passed him basically and mm. as he's fishing he he catches pinocchio mm. on on the on the on the pole um and he mistakes him for a fish and he chucks him into the pile of fish John Peterson has a whole lecture about Pinocchio, okay, okay. Um, and um, and it's it's kind of representative of like uh, the symbol of Christ, the fish in Christianity. Yeah. But it's also the fact that he's so blind that he cannot even see the like the solution that's right there. And then Pinocchio is the one who has gone down there to save him and take him out of the belly of the whale, and mm. then they return home together. Mm. Um, and it's the idea of like the the young uh, giving birth to the like giving. Uh, revivifying the old yes. right and, and and it's that process that keeps yeah. going on yeah yeah this yeah. is this is um so when we talk about like for example politics we talk about like the concept of conservatism and progressivism that's ideally what progressivism is supposed to be about yes like you need this new wave of people young people people with different ideas to innovate and push things forward and then conservatives will say slow down slow down let's think about it calm down and but you those that, those two ebb and flow are two things that we need to like to, for you to move in upwards like you know like Jacob's ladder for example often is depicted you know Jacob's ladder what is Jacob's ladder uh, it's it's a st- uh, ladder that was see- where I think it was Jacob in the Bible saw the angels moving up and down and often it seemed to be a spiral staircase okay but it's um, or a spiral ladder but it, it's uh, just a metaphor for the fact that spiral movement of going of t- of you're going left and then right and then left and then right but you're always moving up ah, up, yes. up 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 towards the divinity yeah. so when you see like for example in the healthcare industry you mm. have like this central pillar with these two like serpents going around yes. and then the wings the caduceus 
So this is an ancient symbol that reflects uh, this process. And it double isn't helix looks like double, as well. double, yeah, exactly. Double yeah. helix, you know, even energy in waves in general Kundalini move as well. in this wave. So the in, internal energy and this internal channel, the central channel and the two side channels that operate is, 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 is a metaphor, but in general for the way in which things move, the way things travel. Straight line has this two polarities at the side to mm -hmm. guide it so that it stays on track to move. And so, you know, du duality throughout, we talk about chaos and order, light and day, light and dark, male and female, the left and right. These things are necessary mm. because they guide uh, towards the ideal, where it is. But the ideal is always shifting. This is why it's difficult. That's why you need to have this left and right, because there is no one ideal throughout all time. Mm. We live in a new age. Like, people will slowly start to see this age now was a flip, 2021 you know, the age of Aquarius, we allow it, we're literally in a new age. Mm -hmm. and we're seeing a new approach to dealing things with things. And for example, technology and all these things now are gonna be used in, in ways that they've never, never, never seen before. We live in a very interesting time, mm. good and, and bad too. So for example, like currency, the cryptocurrency and all these things here, like if you if this becomes a standard thing, if you don't know how to go on and, and go on the blockchain, you're gonna not ha not not be able to buy and sell because it's it's like this is gonna may maybe the standard thing. Yeah. You know, if you look up for example how the elderly can barely get on the internet, and even to even now, we don't want to be we don't want to be in thirty years time the same, but we don't even know how to order things online because we don't know how to order bitcoins. Yeah. You know what I mean? So th the society moves in such a way in which you need to constantly be in the loop because it's very easy for you to be disconnected mm -hmm. in a variety of ways, both spiritually as well, you know, in terms of how, like as I say in Japan, you know, Buddhism is dying. Religion is dying pretty much mm -hmm. worldwide, but it's being replaced. Like paganism is on the rise. In Japan? Uh, in the worldwide, uh, worldwide we're having like, you know, paganism is, is on the rise. I don't know so much about in Japan which religion is, is rising, but um, we're finding a different approach to religion. We're actually finding a return back to superstition. Mm. So, at, mm. so in the uh, Renaissance, you had to move away from superstition and reason became the forefront. And now uh, people are going back into essentially like witchcraft, mm. you know, and it sounds ridiculous, but it's actually becoming very, very popular. As in people are getting, you know, you know crystals are, you know, it's not the end of the world, but mm. potions and spells, you know, because I wouldn't read it. And, yeah. I, and I'm on a witchcraft channel, so yeah. I, I listen to all, all what these witches say and stuff, wow. and practicing practicing witches. Yeah. It's not as as, as underground as people would have thought. A lot of these people are very open with their practices, and it's growing, it's growing because you can get what you want. Now, whether it works or not is another story. But these people believe you can. So, is it pernicious? Is it something that's evil, or is uh, it? Well, it's. I don't it think it's about good and evil. I, I think that I don't think we should think in terms of good and evil. In terms of What's the, what's the repercussions for your actions? Mm. This is always, I think, the better way to think about it. But in general, people who practice like the occult and witchcraft and these things, which is becoming very popular, is based on the idea that if you do this, you can get this. Now, with like, for example, Christians, a lot of people do not practice Christianity for that reason. Mm. They kind of just want to go to, you know, to heaven. They, they just want to do the good thing. They want to serve God. But in the occult side or the pagan side, it's more like you serve yourself. Or, you, or maybe you serve your community, but you as a sense of power and, and, and cultivation of power now as they say it could all just be woo it could always just be them just larping around doing nonsense <laughs> you know this could also be the case yeah. nevertheless what what we, the, the, the interesting thing is the psychology of the way things are going and things are going to more of a self-centered interest version of spirituality based on superstition not based on reason logic faith or love mm. it's based really on getting things mm. and that's where things are going mm. more it's materialistic but via 
it's the spirit. Wow. <laughs> so it's still missing the point, really, isn't it? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. That's very very interesting. Let me just pause that. Let me listen to that. Okay, so Tim Dillon's a, a comedian. He was on okay. Joe Rogan, right? Okay. But he's got this podcast called The Tim Dillon Show. Yeah. For me, it's my favorite podcast right now. Yeah. Because um, he talks about politics and, and what's going on in America or, yeah. or just in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's so hilarious mm. and he's so outspoken. But one one thing he said about um, one thing he said is that there's this app that you can only get invited to. So it's a very mm. kind of like elite uh, deal. It's called Clubhouse. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, and that's where like all the kind of tech millionaires and billionaires uh, like hang out and talk on. Yeah. And he got invited just kind of for entertainment value, but he gets to sit in and listen to these people essentially planning the fate of the world, like yeah. designing their version of the brave new world, right? Yeah, yeah. And he talk, He said, like, I mean, you're not a part of it. He's like, it, if you're not going to play along, you're not going to be a part of this world, and they don't care about that. Yeah, They're yeah. sociopathic. They have a certain way that they want this world to go. Yeah. And it's very it's very kind of like Huxleyan, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, you think, do you think that's where we're headed? I mean, I, I know you think that's where we're headed, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's been like that for a long time. Yes. Uh, the question is, when did it start? That's more, that's more what I'm looking at. Yes. Um, because if you look at, for example, uh, things between two worlds by I just forgot his name. Uh, it's, it's a com- it's a Polish name. It's really difficult to pronounce. But um, him and like, for example, like uh, David Rockefeller, they he was they were they were like working together on I think I believe the Trilateral Committee. So you got the CFR, Council for Relations. You got the Trilateral Community uh, Committee, and you got the Bilderberg Group. So these groups were essentially doing this, but on on its in you could say a bigger scale. Because these groups are set up and designed for big CEOs of companies and politicians to come together mm. to decide how to essentially do trade with each other. Mm. And, the, and uh, Borzynski, I think his name is, created a book called Between Two Worlds, where he basically told his vision for where the future would go towards mm. an international based society. What year did he write this book? I can't remember. I'll, I'll try and find, okay. find it for you. Um, Roughly like a decade or like century? Maybe like the 80s or 90s, maybe 90s. So like 1990s? Yeah, something okay, like that, perhaps, okay. perhaps, perhaps. And what was, this, what was the book? It was basically about, you know, similar to, you know, Klaus Schwab's vision of the future, these kind of books detail mm. where they think the world is going and, and how they're going to try and bring about movement towards this kind of world vision of, you know, increased society and uh, increased surveillance mm. and um, decreased borders between nations in which... There is no such thing as sovereign states, but there is a global governance, whether it be the UN or a different kind of body. But there, but this is the kind of movement that I've seen in te- in old texts and modern texts. Mm. So you've got guys like that. He was uh, one of the founding fathers of, I believe, the trilateral trilateral organization. Trilateral is similar to the Bilderberg, but in, Bilderberg is America and Europe, and trilateral involves, I think, China and maybe Japan. So the, tri- the trilateral means you got Europe, America, and Asia. These three are important powerhouses that need to come together to be able to have an agreement on how we do things. Uh, now the Bilderberg, when they, when they first came together, they, people don't really like too much to openly talk about it because it's, it's kind of been tainted as conspiratorial. Mm. And when the people first started saying, talking about it, they were like, it doesn't exist, it's a nauseous thing. And then they found that actually these people do meet once a year in mm. Europe. And then it's all of these, you know, big, important people that where there's no press whatsoever so the people that instantly were raised eyebrows like why is it that these people come in together and there's no press there's no minutes or whatever 
as it starts to get more exposed, they start to become more open and produce their minutes, etc. But it's just the fact that these people do come together. It doesn't mean it has to be anything nefarious or scary or dangerous, but there are people who are planning your future. And then when you've got the World Economic Forum, what they're doing on the back of COVID, Davos happened just recently. Has that happened already? Yeah, it's happened last week, I and believe. And finished? Or? Finished, yeah. It was only, okay. it was, I think it was two or three days. Okay. It was all online anyway. Yeah. Oh, so, they, they, like, uh, they had Zoom. a live feed kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was live. Oh, they didn't actually go there. They yeah, they did, yeah, it, yeah. Or they did it on Zoom. Okay. Um, so I just watched the bits and bits. But you, you've got like the, the head of, you know, I forgot the guy's name, but the current leader of China. Okay. I don't know what you call him. Okay. A, a, president or whatever ruler emperor i don't yeah. know the guy yeah so he is um he was there okay and you've got him giving his warning to america essentially subtly if you, if you what was the warning that just be you know be careful because basically china and america are looking to go into a cold war of trade and fr and uh this is another issue but never i'll come to that in a bit but for example china and what they're doing with the with the uyghur muslims the genocide there a lot of people are now saying that something needs to be done but you can't really mess with china you can't really say because they're going to put sanctions on you because then you're going to go and they're going to, they'll, they'll retaliate they will initiate a cold war with covid a lot of people are saying for example we believe that you may have actually been negligent in your handling of it yeah and we think that you may have actually it may have come from a lab and we need to investigate to see whether or not this is true and who are now currently doing an investigation if it, if it comes out that china were involved in indirectly contributing to the spread of covid mm. then again this will be you know very dangerous for how 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 they interact with other nations blah 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 yeah and how it's dealt with right exactly so this is this is a thing that's going on but if you listen to everyone what everyone's saying the fact is is that all these people came on these imported people were there on davos this is not just like tom dick and harry these are leaders of nations sovereign nations the european union these groups so these people coming together they all have their own plans for the fate of society they have a plans for way where things are going and we are essentially just like cannon fodder from, from, for, the, for the bigger game. If you look at Russia and America mm. for their Cold War, it didn't escalate into a real war. But at any point in time, things could have got nuclear. It was at that stage. But if innocent people got harmed, that wasn't really, that wasn't, wasn't really a, you know, an issue. The issue was the overall victory in terms of whatever they were, what they were planning on doing. Mm. And now, as I say, in terms of what the World Economic Forum is doing right now, they're, what they're doing is not a form of a Cold War. But what they are doing is a form of accumulation of power into a certain group of, of the population. Uh, that's not us. Mm. We're not part of that group. Now, however, they always are saying that we'll benefit from it. They're always going to say that you are going to benefit from this situation. And then a lot of people have seen their plan for capitalism because they're saying that capitalism doesn't work. And these are coming from all people who become millionaires and billionaires from capitalism yeah. are now saying we're going to change it. Yeah. Well, then now I'm a bit suspicious. Yeah. Now, when we look at communism, we see that a very similar kind of template where they're going to come to the people and say, this is for your best interest. Yeah. For example, Mao was one of the worst examples where people then were supporting this person who ended up starving. I don't know how many million people died in China, and yet they still continued supporting this person, thinking that he had their best interests, well he didn't, he never did, but you can come to people and say we're going to do this revolution and it always sounds appealing and to this day the World Economic, World Economic Forum, their vision for stakeholder capitalism, for public-private collaboration, these words they use to describe what their vision for the future, these visions of the future will make it harder for the common man to accumulate wealth and keep wealth within a certain spectrum and we're seeing with the pandemic that 
the rich are getting richer and corporations who own for example like let's say Sainsbury's they're able to stay open but small uh, mom and pop small kind of like cafes and all these shops are having to close down and shut down mm -hmm. so they're able to have crony capitalism where if you're if you're in the, if you're in the club you get benefits there's no reason why Sainsbury's should stay open and another place that sells food should, shouldn't anywhere that sells food is essential anything of the like and even Sainsbury's still sells clothes and all these other things so they're able to sell everything sure. And you know, other clothes shops and stuff have to shut down. So it doesn't even have to be like on purpose. Like we're purposely gonna, you know, give these guys benefit. But it just means that whenever there's a crisis or any situation, if you're not in the club, you're not gonna you're not gonna benefit. And if you're in the club, then you get the benefit. And over time, that keeps the power within a certain group. And those outside the group perpetually get pushed further and further out. And the further and further you get pushed out, the harder it is for you to re enter back in because you need capital to invest to make more money. So this is what we're seeing, how things are going, and they're they're pretty open if you if you are willing to read the text with their with what's happening. It just you have to bypass bypass just the first soundbite clips on YouTube, and then go and read the actual books and read their texts and listen to exactly what they're saying, and they they tell you everything in detail. And that's what they're saying essentially that they want to move away from capitalism. It's precisely, precisely. I mean, I mean, capitalism is not perfect. It's it it creates a lot of waste, mm. right? Um, it creates a lot of destruction to ecosystems. Yeah. Um, but I don't see how I don't see how communism is a better better thing because communism always ends up in starvation, like you said, mm -hmm. wherever it's tried. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is if you don't if you don't incentivize production, mm -hmm. there's no production. You know, for me, I don't even think the argument should be um, capitalism versus communism. communism. I think I just think that's a really silly argument. I, I, I think it's, it's dead. It's, it's, yeah. It should have died decades yeah. ago. The 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 because capitalism isn't what's the problem. It's the yeah. way in which you it's being used. Because yeah. what capitalism is is just free market economy. Is this it's the freedom for people to be able to buy and sell as they please. Yes. Now people are going to exploit the market. Yeah. So you need to have regulations in place in order to stop exploitation. But that's mm. the only and limit you need when it comes to the regulation. Yeah. The market will police themselves because once you do, uh, like for example, uh, when government take too much control over what things are done, how things are done, you just, you just, as we said before, given power from one group called corporation over to another group, the government, but you're still given power over away to another group. Yeah. It doesn't matter who has the power, as long as they want to exploit the power, they will. And the, the best way is for power to be distributed as, as many amongst as many people as possible mm -hmm. naturally and as people your power comes from your your buying power where you put your money your money is your vote if a company is exploitative and you give them money then you allow the explo exploitation to occur mm. i personally don't shop at amazon as much as possible because really? i know they exploit their stuff so for me i'm like if you're gonna, not going to treat your staff well i'm not going to give you my money mm -hmm. but if it's hard because for many people there's no alternatives and so therefore this is where the problem lies. When you have essentially a monopoly or, or borderline a monopoly, you are able to exploit your staff and you, are, you, can, you can abuse capitalism because competition is what makes cap capitalism work. Yeah. If there's no competition, then capitalism doesn't work. And communism, once again, removes um, competition okay. because there's no alternative. It's just the government and then they say what you've got to do and how you've got to do it. So really and truly, what, the, what we need in order for capitalism to work is choice. Mm -hmm. As long as you have choice to where you put your money, where you put your power and what you can do with it, then you can succeed. And uh, when people are doing evil things, exploitative things, 
if you say I'm not going to give you my money I'm not going to give you my support those companies will die out and this will be the world works but mm. the world doesn't really work really in terms of capitalism communism mm. it, it works between authoritarian control and non-authoritarian control and every government wants to be as authoritarian as possible as in they want to be able to control as much as possible yeah. and to do that you need money so corporations and they need regulations to be able to do what they're going to do so corporations and governments are always going to work together in tandem behind the scenes or in front of the scenes it doesn't matter they're going to work together in order for them both to be able to get the benefit and that's where the power lies we don't have power we don't have billions they do so they're able to operate amongst each other you know like all these politicians like nancy pelosi in america and and, and even here i think rishi sunak i've got his name Rishik, uh, he's these guys are very wealthy. You you know you know Boris, all these guys they're mm. not poor. Mm. These aren't poor people. You, what you do, what you find with corporations and government people is one common factor: money. Mm. That one thing they have more than we have, and so therefore this is the divide that people need to understand. It's not about left and right. It's about the poor and the rich, and it's been like that for hundreds of years, perhaps thousands of years. Those who have and those who have not. Mm. And as long as we keep dividing ourselves between, between political lines and different kinds, of even like racial lines, gender. gender lines, all these lines, you're just con you're just con creating distraction. But do you, I, I think the, the the categories are the problem rather than a specific category, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Because once again, it's like it's a divide between the poor and the rich. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But at the same time. Like you, you can make it so that you you transcend your poverty. Well, yeah, it's just it's yeah. just not made very applicable to. But you need to know that that's what you need to do. Yes. Because if you're thinking that the issue is, for example, a gender issue or a racial issue or a sexual issue or all these kind of things, you think that is the main issue, then you miss the real main issue. And and I don't even think that you know me. I'm not I'm not interested in making money per se. I don't really feel like the way well me accumulating wealth is the main issue. But I know that the main issue. Between, uh, for those who have power is wealth. For them, their main concern is in um, that they keep their money. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily, I'm not going, I don't want their money, they can keep their money if they want. But, they, but everything they do is from that perspective, mm -hmm. that they keep that power within that group. Now, if whether black people or, or women or gays have rights or they don't, is, is no concern. As long as they have, they're rich, you can do whatever the hell you want. Mm -hmm. But as long as they can get other people to be fighting all this other stuff, you're not looking at them. So Wall Street, what happened in America, was recently just an example to my GameStop GameStop you know with you know was just an example of people looking and seeing who the real enemy is all this time for years they've been fighting each other and then all they all united between the real common and for a split second it won't last long it, it, you know after a few weeks people will forget all about GameStop yeah, and yeah. move on to something else yeah. but just for that split second both the left and the right united and they're all with their money yeah. yeah, and yeah. over a common cause of yeah. corruption because yeah. these people are the ones that cause problems in society because these bankers do their short selling, yeah. they crash the economy, and taxpayers have to bail them out. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. then um, and then they don't get any repercussions or anything for it. So this is a problem that doesn't get talked about, and in the news you're hearing about all sorts of other nonsense. And the question is why. Do you think that was covered on BBC? Because I spoke to my grandmother who watches BBC. Yeah, yeah, they, they covered. I saw. I saw late. Of course, they didn't do it immediately. Yeah. Um, BBC did a small thing on short selling, and by that time I, I was tired of it, so I, I didn't bother looking at yeah, it. But yeah, BBC, all, all major news outlets did cover it um, partially. Yeah. In terms of what they said about it, it wasn't always accurate, but like there were different spins on it. Initially, they tried to smear it. They tried to say that these people are all, you know, white supremacists. Was the first smear wow. and, and anti-Semitic. They were trying to because you know Reddit 
has got like a reputation, unfortunately, of being you know racist and anti-Semitic, which is which is nonsense. It's, it's complete opposite. Yeah. You know, it's more left-leaning on Reddit than anything. Yeah. Um, but it's got this. It, they can use that instantly to say, you know, these people need to get shut down because of this and that. And so that was what they were they were, they were trying to uh, ride off that wave of like you know the capital riots in January six, and they were trying to say this is a, 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 a another form of that. So that was what, well, but then that spin didn't last long, and then they they stopped doing it. So the mainstream people and, and they're trying to crash the price by doing that as well. That's what they're trying to do. That they, they right? several times they tried to do that. Yeah. You know, they, they they shut them down. So so Discord, if you don't know if you heard of yeah, it, yeah, I've got so Discord. Yeah, um, <laughs> I only got it last week. Okay, I didn't yeah, know what it was. I'm, yeah. I'm on that as well. Yeah. Um, but they they shut down the Wall Street Bets Discord server because of hate speech or whatever. Or so you know they. they She's it, brilliant. You can use hate speech for anything. That's that's the danger. That's yeah. why people need to not get caught up too much in the nonsense because if you get caught up in that and that becomes priority, you'll as I say you'll forget what the main issue is and they can distract you. They can say, oh well, these people are racist. Okay, shut them down. Mm. But actually those people were actually trying to help you mm. and they weren't being racist there might have been one racist in that group mm. and you're going to shut down the whole movement because of that one guy you know mm. just kick him out so you know this is is as i say it's, it's very intelligent and if you these instances make you see okay there's something going on what's going on mm. is it all is the news in the media and all, the, all these people are they genuine or is there another other interest at play and once you once you see that it's like you like going down a rabbit hole. Mm. You should continue, continue spiraling and seeing more, and more, and more, and more pieces if you investigate. But if you just stop short and think, oh, you know what, forget about it, then you'll miss the whole the whole point of it. Mm. The whole point of it is to see how far does this corruption go. Mm. But a lot of people aren't willing to go down there because you become a paranoid wreck, and then they call you conspiracy theorists because it's conspiracy theorist is a synonym for insane. You're mad, you know. Like, there's another way of saying that because it's true you can go mad I know people who have gone crazy going Some down this kind of stuff or going down this you become too paranoid you just don't know what's real what's not real yeah. because you think everyone's watching you there's cameras everywhere yeah. you know I was thinking that yesterday mm. I was in the gym and I was looking in the mirror and I was I was, I was high <laughs> yeah. and I, I was I was playing with my hair because like, my hair's terrible right now because I can't mm. get to a barber mm. and I was just looking at it for ages and ages and the lighting was wrong and I jumped up on the thing and I was looking at it and I was like man if someone saw me right now they think I was insane yeah. and I was like how do I know that I'm not being watched just yeah. to, to ask that question of myself not to actually contemplate not to mm. actually believe that mm. but like how do I know mm. and it crossed my mind for a second but there must be people that think that they're being watched at yeah. all seconds yeah, of the exactly. day yeah 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 another, another commonality with people with conspiracy theories is that they 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 take the conspiracy realm to be the true reality and oh. they neglect their own true reality exactly, yeah. and they live in that reality yeah, yeah. so you'll see that their lives are completely falling apart they're in terrible shape they yeah. have terrible mental health issues yeah. they, they smoke they drink yeah. but you know they're going to save the world yeah it it's doesn't work that way does conspiracy it conspiracy theory is just like history research like it's yeah. like for example with like, like let's say like black lives matter mm. there's a lot of people who like who went down that path because they knew about the history of slavery and oppression and all that kind of stuff but it's traumatizing so you there's certain things that you can't research willy-nilly because if you research this stuff it will mess you up you'll start to have a whole perspective on reality that's warped and twisted because you you you, you research into really atrocity atrocities and horrendous things yeah so when you research conspiracy theory you, you, it's the exact same thing because the whole the whole purpose of the term conspiracy theory is essentially the government of those in power mm. um They've done bad things, mm. but they don't want you to know about it. And if you question it, 
it's called a conspiracy theory. Mm. The biggest example is Japan. So Japan was involved in atrocities in World War Two, mm. severe, really horrendous mm. things, just as bad as was the it Nazis. Called Bro- Room Four Five One or something. I think that's the same thing I'm thinking about. What yeah. they did in China with the uh, human it was in Japan with human experiments. Human experiment, but they did it in China, so they only Chinese people. Ah. So they ah. um. So the Japanese did it on the yeah, Chinese. Yeah, 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 yeah. Human experimentation whilst they were alive. I think I don't know. If, I think yeah, they did mm. it in Japan. Yeah. They were whilst alive doing all sorts of experiments on them and torture and like horrendous things to mm. the to the people. And, and they they developed a kind of plague. Yes. Yep. 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 And they they infected rats with it. Okay. Then they released the rats into the population. Yeah. Okay. I, I saw where they sprayed them on planes. They went down and they sprayed a, um, like a fumigation type method oh, on, onto the Chinese population. Oh, so they did they did all the, all of these things yeah. and experimented on their bodies to see you know how these things work. Um, so a lot of uh, Japanese people saying it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So it's lies. It's made up. So if you say it happened, you're a conspiracy theorist. Even though there's kind of historical accounts of it happening. Exactly, but they're saying it's lies. It's, it's, no, it's, it's not. It's and if, if the mainstream uh, say it didn't happen, then it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And in general, Japan mm-hmm. is known for um, hiding their sordid past. There's even there's a term. I think it's called tatamae, which is like false face. It's a term in Japan in which when things are bad, you show a good face. Mm-hmm. You know, you always show to keep harmony in the community is seen as good. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's beyond Japan, but also Asian culture, but Japan is a very important theme to show a good face like to the world. Like you get fired and you still leave house with your, with your suit, you yeah, exactly, your suit exactly, on. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Until you can, because you don't want to create discord within wherever you are, whatever community, your family, home, the nation, whatever. So, you know, um, that is part of the culture. Nevertheless, it's, it's evident that history comes second facts become second and what how people feel is comes first mm. but that not everybody operates in that wavelength i'm not i don't operate in that wavelength but, you know i want to know what happened wherever it may be how bad it was however mm-hmm. that can be traumatizing mm-hmm. once you see if you are a japanese person all this life you believe that japanese defense country has not done no wrong and you find out that you, they were involved in torture and rape of chinese people or women and, and uh, human experimentation and all this stuff and involved in in supporting fascism and nazi germany you're like what the hell i didn't know that J- japan did all this stuff that can mess you up mm. and if you're the only person who knows this and no one's listening and trying to exp- explain it it can drive you crazy so you know conspiracy theory is a, a not something i i tell people about to, to research because it's not easy and you know on instagram you see me posting bits and bits here and there trying to Give people little tidbits, easing, them into easing it. people in yeah. in ways in which they can digest. But for a lot of people, it's upsetting. But you yeah. need to know what's possible because if people always say to me, the government would never do that. I'm yeah. like, but the government have done it. Like it's like it's not as if it hasn't been done before. Yeah. A lot of things you think the government would never do, they've been doing for hundreds of years. But you just don't know because you've never read it, and they're not going to tell you because it doesn't. It doesn't suit. It's a benefit them to tell you. It's, it's naivety because it's assuming that that uh, evil cannot exist mm. because. I think at the same time, naive people do not see evil existing in themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's only because they're not aware of it. I mean, it definitely exists because yeah. it exists in everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And and that that's that's what I believe is at the heart of that um, ignorance, is the mm. fact that they can't encounter it in themselves. Precisely. So they believe that it cannot exist. Yeah. But then, you know, I, I think that's a good example of how change can only take place on the micro level before yeah. it becomes macro, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a fundamental ideology that is at odds with other people's ideology. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. Many people disagree. So most people are believe that change comes from outside. Yeah. So if you look at most of the social justice movements happening, climate change and, and um, even like how COVID is dealt with, you know, how um, 
racial justice yeah. is dealt with. It's all about external. You change yourself yeah. to protect me yeah. in general, or yeah. you you change your what you're doing to protect the world, rather than let me change myself internally and change my and, and my community and my local environment first. Let's all do what we can here, mm. and then we leave you. But you try and do what you can. But we're going to focus on, on on myself and my family and my community. This is not the way things are moving on on a grand scale, mm. and I agree 100%. And when it comes to issues for example with um, seeing evil within yourself that is the fundamental step you need before you can obtain wisdom if you believe that evil is something that only exists outside yourself and you believe that there are such things as good people and bad people then your perception of reality is going to be very different mm -hmm. from someone like me mm -hmm. you know like you know who's got the correct perception this is now the question mm -hmm. because I can argue that I believe my version is true but you're gonna argue your version is true okay yeah. so you know it's often the, the one example is um, for example with Nazi Germany now the idea that all those German people who participated or supported Nazi Germany were themselves evil is naive mm. they were just normal people who saw hardship and hard times and were convinced in something that wasn't true or convinced to support evil because it was convenient to them and so most people today if they were German at that time and lived as a German people, they would support. They'd be partaking in it. Then a Nazi regime. Yeah, that's just that's yeah. just fact. Yeah, because I see it in people's eyes. I look at them and I can <laughs> see how people are willing to justify evil or do evil if it's acceptable in the community. If everybody around them isn't going to say bad person, shame them, mm. they'll they, people would can, would do evil. Mm. And they'll say, oh come on, it's just one thing, or just do that, or you know whatever it may be, whatever evil it may be. Mm. If it's normalized amongst the community, it's not evil. Mm. That's what makes things evil. Mm. You know, not people have, have have not got a sense of an inner moral compass. People have an external moral compass based on shame. And so when we look back on Nazi Germany, we think, oh, oh if I was them, I would have saved Anne Frank. I would have gone into the death camps and I would have saved all the Jewish people. But, okay, that's easy to say from outside, but mm -hmm. if you were inside that time, what, what evidence have you shown in your life now that you've gone against the status quo? You've, you've gone against all these people doing the salutes, everyone around you mm -hmm. doing a mm -hmm. Nazi salute, and you, you would say that you would put, keep your hand down and, and, and you everyone's looking at you like, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing Nazi mm. salute? And you're going to say, no, 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 I don't agree with the Nazi regime. I believe that Jews are equal as, human, as, as, as us Germans. Mm. You would have been attacked, possibly. So, you know, many people have not really shown signs that they can go against the status quo in terms of what is seen to be good by the majority or by their peers. You know, so it's, this, it's something that people need to understand that the evil, the most evil in the world exists within every single person, if allowed. Mm. If the mm. world right now, boom, asteroid hit, Dust cloud, no sun, mm. no food. Mm. Everyone's survival of the fittest. Watch and see how all these people who claim to be for good were willing to go out there and fight and kill to eat and survive. Mm, mm. You would see the world turn savage overnight. That's, what, that's what Peterson talks about mm. in terms of like uh, soldiers experiencing PTSD because yeah. they end up killing when they thought that they were just good Christian boys from mm. the fucking Midwest, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because um, the process, I think he talks about, I've seen him talk about, and I need to look more into it, the process of becoming essentially evil. Like, you don't, you're not born, you know, evil. Mm. You're, everyone's born innocent and mm. pure. Mm. And over time, there are different things that turn you evil. And when you look at criminals and criminal psychology, you always find that there is something that happened, or slowly over time, where they become radicalized into criminality. Mm. And, and if that happens rapidly, 
and whilst you still remember being a good person, you can get traumatized by it. But many people can justify it in different ways. In fact, it's funny because in, in slavery that happened from with as one story of this guy who was a normal typical guy, and he inherited a slave plantation, and he went there and he found he could you know beat the slaves and do what he want, and he ended up becoming insane in terms of how he tortured them, wow. like like hostile. You know, he'd do all sorts of insane and vicious torturing things because he could, because he had these people who he could do whatever he wanted to. And there was no repercussions or whatever, and he eventually became radicalized and started to enjoy this kind of like evil actions. Mm. And most people wouldn't go down that path, but if you were forced to, eventually you'll have some way of justifying it in your head. As to you know, someone put your gun to your head and said you need to torture this person, and you had to do it, you would do it. That's Milgram's experiment, right? Is that the um, ex- that's the electric shock one? Yeah, yeah precisely. Yeah. So that one is that one was a a perfect example, to be honest. Yeah. Of how people can do evil because of authority, yeah. because of the authority figure said do evil. And I think it was, what was it, uh, 60% uh, of the people reached the end of electrocution? Yeah, which shock. is basically like death. Yeah, yeah. Because the way it worked is that there was a person in a lab coat, so you have mm. these authority kind of symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, and they played around with the, with the clothing, you know. They, they sometimes put them in civilian clothing and it didn't have the same effect, you mm. know. Um, and there was supposedly someone who was wired up but he wasn't actually and every time the button was pushed he would see a light which means now is when you pretend that you're in pain mm. and he would just from the lowest levels he'd be like ah and then it would just turn into ah stop please stop and the person would be egging them on like look continue this is part of the experiment crazy right crazy and it's yeah. crazy because they believe that I think they thought that like 1% of the people would get all the way to that final stage yeah. where as you say where they started shouting eventually to shock would continue and they wouldn't be silent. Yeah. And they would be like, is he okay? Is he okay? P- please continue the experiment. Yeah. And he would press the button, ah, silent. <laughs> so the person was essentially unconscious. Yeah, yeah. You know, theoretically, the, yeah. if it was real. Yeah. And they continued all the way through to the final XXX level voltage, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they they underestimated the power of the authority has. And I think, I think sadistic people, like let's say for example Hitler or somebody like Himmler mm. or whoever, mm. these people probably had a really good understanding of how to manipulate people to do what they wanted. Mm. But mm. the general public and most of us innocent people, we just don't know that people can be manipulated in that way because we never would have thought to do that. We just think, oh, people are good people. But it's not, that, it's not really true. Mm. People are good people, mm. but they contain with them an e- a potential for evil. And if given the right circumstances, you can get people to do evil things. One example is drone, drone striking. They've hired yeah. uh, gamers yeah. to come in and do drone strikes, and they'll be there with uh, the control pad, and then they're there on the screen bombing, you know, children in Syria. And because they're so distant from what's going on, they could easily kill and murder many, many people. But it doesn't feel like they're doing it. Mm. So you, so you, so you can create, you know, killers very easily. You can yeah. recruit them from from high school if you wanted to. Yeah. So this is something that people don't understand that like evil is something that has to be really understood, and we generally don't like. To believe that we can do evil but at any point in time things can, can switch and I always contemplate what happens if we lived in a post-apocalyptic society mm. what would I do mm. you know like am I willing to die in order to protect my morals or integrity or am I willing to do what I have to do to protect my family and, and do things like that you know so this is the thing that most people don't think about but in our society right now for example we've got like COVID and in America they had the whole Trump thing and you've got these people who are seen as the enemy mm. and they're seen as bad mm. and you have to be careful because you don't want to become radicalized like if it's true that these people are bad and these people are, are, are the cause of deaths and whatever and you know white supremacy and whatever if this is true I can understand why you want to uh, be emotional and you don't want to be charged 
and you want to go out in the world and make change. But the question is, is the media or these people telling you the truth? Are you being, are, do you trust your source of information to tell you that these people are fascists or these people are responsible for the deaths of 100,000 people because they didn't wear masks? You know, so this is, you have to be very careful that you don't get radicalized, if you see what I mean. Mm, mm, mm. And um, my worry is, is that now people don't live in a society where they can easily ascertain who the enemy is. Because they can be told the enemy is such and such a person. And then, for example, Antifa or a group of people going around in America, they exist here as well. And they um, attack people who they ble believe are fascists. Mm. And if they believe you're a fascist or a Nazi, they can punch you in the face mm. and people will be like, yeah, cool. But then what happens if you want a fascist or a Nazi? And then you get attacked, then what? And people will be t jeering and, and saying this, and it's like they can use this tool to go around and attack people they don't like. But then what they would say to that, and, and it's funny because I have, I have a friend, right, and I posted something and he retaliated and uh, he just responded. And um, he's very left-leaning, this guy. Mm. I've hung out with him, I really like this guy. But I believe that he's kind of ideologically possessed, and this is oh. why I'm saying that because um, there was an incident where this YouTuber made a video of a pug doing a Nazi salute. Do you okay, remember that? Yeah, yeah, the it was, comedian. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he wasn't a comedian. I think I think he started doing stand-up comedy afterwards oh. when he got to fame. But he okay. was a YouTuber essentially. He was okay. making little funny shorts and stuff. And he taught the pug to put up his paw to get treats. And he would say like, "How how Hitler see Kyle," which is hilarious. Mm. It's wrong. It doesn't okay. mean that he's actually like. Um, it doesn't mean he's a Nazi. It doesn't mean he's like. Um, uh, he, he believes that the Jew. He said mm. gas the Jews as well yeah. in the video, right? Okay, and yeah, that yeah. was the real inflammatory okay, thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I watched the video. I couldn't hold back the laughter, yeah. right? I, I saw it and and I, I was just laughing. And yeah. then, so the friend that I've hung up with, I used to do stand up comedy with him. Um, he was part of this BBC program documentary mm. on this guy, who, okay. whose name is um, I can't remember his name now. I can't remember his name. Yeah. It was it was like a, his YouTube I've name. Seen his face. Yeah, yeah. Um he's like a Geordie guy. Okay. But anyway, um the the whole BBC three program was following the whole case and the implications of it and my friend's job was to just interrogate him basically. Mm. This is what it was like. They just went into a pub in at like eleven o'clock in the morning, so it was empty, and they sat down like we are from across from each other. And my friend was like you're wrong! You're a fascist! You shouldn't be saying that! Like being really attacking and being really like over the top. And the guy was like sitting there and he was like, he was like, look man, like you, you, you sound exactly like everyone else who I've spoken to about this. Like I, I don't believe that we should gas the Jews. I'm not a Nazi. Yeah. I think these are bad ideas. I just made a video that I thought was funny. And it's like, no, you're gaslighting. You're trying to get other, other fascists on your side. It's mm. all a front. Mm. You're saying that it's not real because it's a front. Mm. And, and so the guy made a really good point, right? The, 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 the supposed Nazi made yeah. a really good point. He said, um, uh, he said like, so you can't take my word that I'm not a Nazi because of, of this thing. And therefore it's safer to assume that I am mm. just in case I was, mm. which is a really fucked up rationale, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like guilty until proven yeah, innocent. Um, so what if you accusing me of being a Nazi leads to me being killed on the pretense of me being a Nazi? Where does that leave you, right? 
and it's this idea that that if we do not hold people to their word and we do not hold that sacred then we truly have nothing because mm-hmm. all we truly have is like scoff it says all i have in this world is my word and my balls mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. all we truly have is our word mm-hmm. and that's that's our biggest currency because mm-hmm. if i say i'm going to be there at nine o'clock or if i say i'm going to meet you at 12 we're going to meet at 12 mm-hmm. and if i don't then that's going to devalue my currency in the world right precisely and and, and it's, it relates back to um this is the third time i've talked about just peterson in this podcast but when he was having that interview with Kathy Newman yes. and he says she says why does your freedom of, right to freedom of speech trumps a trans person's right not to be offended yeah. he said because in order to think freely you have to risk being offensive yeah. right yeah 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 and so you said a lot of things I find that were very interesting I'll, I'll talk about the last part yes. which is talk about that line between freedom of speech and and being offensive and that there is there is a line but yeah. it's blurred and it blends over and it's something that and has moves to be, too. Yeah, it's something that has to be traversed and, and communicated with both sides and, and, and common and common yeah. ground. Yeah. But going back to the early point is, my, what I've seen is it, it's been too much of a radicalization of, of the nation. Mm. People are becoming radicalized in their views, and the more more you become radicalized, the more you become disconnected with actual reality. Mm. And people are, have lost the ability to perceive reality and how to discern what one thing is and what the one thing isn't. Mm. So you mentioned the word. Now the word of somebody who speaks and says one thing. How do you ascertain with what they says is true or not true? People don't know. Mm-hmm. They haven't got a clue. So when they see what the majority of the mob says, if the mob says that you're a fascist, you're a fascist. So it's become, you know, which witch hunt or witch, witch burning was the old version of this. They said, you're a witch. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not a witch. But we said, you're a witch. Okay, you're a witch. And then you got burnt in the stake. Yeah, we found that she wasn't a witch. Oh, well, yeah. she's dead now. What yeah. are you going to do about it? Yeah. So, the, you know, witch burning and that tactic has never been uh, an effective tactic or to accuse somebody of witchcraft. There's never been a, a, an effective tactic of knowing if somebody's a witch or not. Mm-hmm. But today, with fascism and white supremacy, they, they bring it back to the same tactic of saying you are this, you're that, and that means you are. As long as the majority of people will say you are, you are. Mm. Now, we should move towards a, a society in which people are able to and themselves know what is true and what isn't mm. true. But what, as I say, the danger and the main problem of this is that real fascists, real Nazis go unchecked. Mm. They're able to just go about and do bad things and no one says anything to them because no one now knows how to know who's a Nazi anymore mm. because it's become too vague and too wishy-washy. Because I, I go on Twitter, I go on Instagram, and I and I and I, I follow real racists. Do you real racists? How do you find them? Um, hashtag M. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm all over I'm all over Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. And eventually, you just find somebody in the comment section, and then for you example. Just, you just add them, and, you, and then you just follow along, and, yeah. and you follow the cycle. Yeah. And uh, you've also got people like Jared Taylor and white nationalists in general, yeah. pop- popular ones. You can just yeah. go there and you can see. It's easy. I see, yeah, um, yeah. You can find these people. Yeah. No, it's not too difficult. Yeah. So, but what's interesting is, is that they don't get checked. Like, I went to one guy, um, American Krogan. He's a white nationalist, open white nationalist. Is that Pick his name? American Krogan. It's, it's a tag. It's not okay, it's his handle. Okay. So, I, I, he, they are, they're racist, but they, they're very careful in terms of how they attack people because I've, I've been openly attacked on on the internet mm. and being at your inferior at low IQ but if you come out like that you would get your you'd get deleted you'd get you know your account yeah. removed whatever yeah. so somebody I came to him and, I, and he was saying for example talking about black culture essentially being that white culture equals like um, uh, class and black culture being like like hood and, and ghetto and I kind of like came to him and I was like saying what are you talking about and then but we had we were having conversations yeah. and backwards and forwards but no one else ha- was checking th- these guys and their views. Yeah. I'm the only person, when I go through the comment section, no one is 
running up on these guys and saying, what are you talking about? Hey, like, that's not true. Yeah. So everyone's gone to other people who they think are white nationalists and Nazis and saying, oh, you're racist, like Trump, then people were attacking him. Yeah. But there's actual real racists, yeah. real racists who are spreading propaganda or whatever you might want to call it. And none of you guys are watching their material. Like I watch and sit down and listen to these people saying all this racist stuff. People, you know, like let's say for example, Confederate people. There's some people who wave the Confederate flag who say I'm not racist. But there's people who wave the Confederate flag who say I am racist. You should be listening to those people mm -hmm. you know, who openly use the N word, openly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, white people. Mm -hmm. So it's like these are the people you should be focusing on, not just blanketing, attacking everybody who you think is under that banner. So in general, I, this is this is the, this is the main main problem with radicalization is that evil people can go unchecked and good people get lumped into that category of evil people which is no no good comes of it yeah one thing i want to talk about before before time runs out is um so germany came out about 2 weeks ago now mm -hmm. and said that these these face masks these cloth face masks yeah. do not do anything yeah, yeah. to stop the spread of the virus uh -huh. right mm -hmm. um the only ones that do anything is the N95s, mm -hmm. supposedly, which mm -hmm. are in short supply and we can't get hold of them. Mm -hmm. Why the fuck do we still do this then? Uh, because you feel safe. You right? feel safe if you wear masks. You Socially masks. And, and in terms of infection. Because th there's, yeah. a, there's a certain element of social safety to that. Well, this is another issue. For, for, first of all, it's the infection. People feel safe from the infection. But second of all, some people prefer having a barrier. Not everybody, because yeah. mo most people, I think, do like social interaction. However, once you get used to this barrier, then now it's, it's a change. And this is what I was worried about, the psychological effect of mask wearing, because you see it in Japan. Yeah. So, j like, Japan and Korea are very easy for them to wear masks because they're kind of used to it, but they're more an introvert society where they're easily able to... Like, when you go on the, on the train or the bus in Japan, everybody's on their phone mm -hmm. or playing games. Everybody's da head down, you know, no one's, like, you know, heads up, looking around, interacting, mm. speaking... It's not. It's not really in their culture. They have more of a kind of internal, you know, society. But then there's pros and cons to that. Mm. There's a reason why you know Japan and, and Korea and these countries have a very high suicide rate, because when you have that kind of culture based on shame, based upon stick to your own, disconnect, you you can become lonely. Japan has a loneliness. It's like that's a big pandemic. You know, su suicide and loneliness is a big problem yeah. in Japan and in Korea and these places. Now here we're starting to take on board some of the negative elements of Japan. We're not really taking on the good elements like, for example, the holding the doors and all this kind of stuff of other people. In terms of like, you know, um, even though Korea don't hold the doors for people, but in terms of like the idea of we are our community, let's do what we can for each other. We're taking on more of the element of separateness, being lonely, being mm -hmm. separate, and psychologically, a lot of people aren't aware of it, and they, you become, 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 what I used to word radicalized, because they're transforming your mindset into one that's unnatural. And, and, when it, and it's hard for people to say that that's the reason why, because you become conspiratorial. But nevertheless, that is the consequence of um, what's happening. People are, their psychology is changing. Mm. Because when I walk around the street, because I, I don't mind wearing a mask, and I, and, I, and I wear it and I observe, what happens when you see somebody who doesn't wear a mask and you see mm. the effect it has on your mind mm. it's a shock mm. somebody's not wearing a mask it's strange it's weird mm. when i when i don't wear the mask and i walk around and i observe it's flipped i look at people wearing a mask and I'm like it looks weird it's strange yeah. i'm like jesus yeah. christ everybody looks like zombies mm. but when you become one of them and you wear the mask and you observe somebody who doesn't wear the mask they look weird but that's the natural face you're supposed to see a face yeah, yeah. and and you know 
like there's a whole psychology to the face. There's a reason why when you look at random objects, you see faces randomly in, in things. You know what I mean? Because we're hardwired to see faces from babies and all this stuff. And you're taking away a natural interaction that human beings are supposed to have and giving them this artificial thing yeah. that's, that's supposed to be somebody's face. It's not their face. And you know, we don't know what the psychological impact of this would be because people are going to continue wearing masks. It was always going to be the new normal, regardless of whether masks not worked or whatever. This at the beginning of the pandemic, this was the new normal. So masks wearing, they want to continue forever, even though there is a debate whether or not these things are really effective. Because even the new strain, they were saying that one mask doesn't really work. You need to wear two masks mm. or just three masks. You know, just could pile, pile them on your face yeah. because this will add extra layers, add extra protection. Yeah. So then, so then you wearing one mask yeah. is like you wear no mask because yeah. it doesn't really protect you according to this new strain. Yeah. Now the science of that is debatable, yeah. but the fact is is that this, even though one mask may be like no mask, they still want you to wear that one mask, mm. even though ideally you should be wearing according to them two or three masks. So then, what 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 use does the one mask have? It, it's if you feel protected and you seem like you are safe it's hygienic and that because human beings are f afraid of ickiness you mm, know? we don't mm, like things mm. icky we don't like things disgusting it's very true we don't like things that are unhygienic yes. now when you become completely a dirty unhygienic being by you not wearing a mask this changes the way you see yourself and the world around you mm. and be, you know being a hypochondriac of being overly too concerned of hygiene some people think it's a good thing but th there is psychological dangers from it especially when it's unnatural because human beings are supposed to engage with the icky even though we have an aversion to it in intuitively mm. you need it you need to go through that in order for you to develop and grow both psychologically and also healthfully in terms mm. of your immune system you do need to have that little bit of engagement with this, this bad thing mm. so we're moving into a world of purity of mm. artificial purity mm. where mm. we want everything to be pristine clean but that's not the way the world works mm. the world is dirty and the world is, is gritty and how are you going to be able to deal with that? You know, we just want sterility and perfection and orderliness. That's what we want, right? Artificially induced. Yeah. You know, yeah. without having to do any work, you can just put a mask on. Boom, COVID safe. No, it's not that easy. You, <laughs> need, to, you need to exercise. You need to eat right. <coughs> you need to have your vitamin D. We've mentioned. You need to do so many things for you to, re uh, to be healthy. You can't just put a mask on and think that you're not all sterile and, and sterilize your hands. Yeah. I think now that you're, you're or take a vaccine healthy. and think or that you're not going to die so ever again. Yeah, this kind of like. Um, you know this uh, serum shoots you know yeah. like this kind of like philosopher stone kind of thing you know Th these things are supposed to take work you can't take some immortality serum you can't take no there's no you know pill that will you know like in, in uh, I don't know it's, it's not how this is not how medicine should work like we mentioned earlier yeah. when we talk about our version of medicine for immunity it's about building yourself from the inside out focus on your immunity so therefore whenever anything comes you can deal with it yeah. but however this is not financially viable yeah this is not conducive towards creating wealth for those who in the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. It's more important for them to focus on creating medicines which you can use when you get sick rather than telling you, look, do this and you won't even get sick in the first place. We're not seeing society move in that type of direction. In, it's the exact opposite. As time goes on, as technology increasing, you're hearing them talk more and more and more and more about the new types of medications and, and, and you know, talking about that, they're talking about making uh, 3D printers that can create you know, organs, all this kind of crazy stuff, rather than saying, guys, change your lifestyle. But it, it's, it's, it's like what you've said about um, witchcraft, yeah. like this using spiritual means to get uh, physical physical yeah. gains, right? Yeah. It's the same yeah. kind of thing. It's, just, it's missing the point completely, mm -hmm. completely missing the point. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you touched upon that you said that um, people wear masks, they're like zombies. Mm. And I was thinking about this the other day, how 
I feel like the zombie film is a metaphor mm. for how um, when society changes and becomes pathological and mm. you're the only one who sees outside of that, it yeah. does feel like you are living in the fucking zombie film, yeah. right? Yeah. Because it, it's almost like, have you seen Inception? Yeah, of course. Where it realises that you're, you shouldn't be in there, you're not, you shouldn't be in this person's yeah. head and yeah. everyone turns on you. Yeah. It's kind of like that. This is how like this whole world is, is kind of like turning out right now. It's like the Matrix is another one. Yeah, yeah. Precisely. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And um, that's the worrying thing because I always contemplate because Matrix is a very important movie for me I think it's the perfect allegory for the world we live in. Yeah. Now, my fear is that once it gets to that stage where you become an enemy of the state, like in Will Smith's movie, when you become an enemy of the system, you're screwed. What do, where do you go? What do you do? And ideally, I don't want it to get to that stage where you have to like, disconnect from society because you can't live in society free. You have to be, you know, essentially take the shot, take the chip, whatever it may be. If they say this is mandatory. Take the hemlock. You, you, it, whatever they say is mandatory yeah. for your engagement in society if, they say, if you say I don't want to do that yeah. and then they say okay but you've got to get out yeah. then, then what do you do and a lot well, of well that's movies, what Socrates did right mm, yeah. essentially essentially well yeah he had um, a, a little bit of that a, a bit more than that but he was he was disrupted in society's norms because he was saying you he guys don't know the youth right? well that's they said what he was that for. They, yeah but he was basically saying you, you don't know what you're talking about he was basically saying to the world you guys say XYZ but you don't know that you're just saying that because you can get you know, essentially this is a money you're just, you're just using it for clout, but you guys don't actually know what you're talking about. Mm. And these people will die, like Malcolm X and all these people, the same kind of thing. Mm. All you people are, are phony, you know, you know, Malcolm X is calling out all the black leaders. You guys are all fake. All you, all you black politicians are fake. All you, all you like celebrities are, are useless. You're all, you're all cronies. You're all sellouts, you know. And these are the people who are, they, they will disrupt the status quo, and then they have to go. So like Socrates was disrupted into the status quo. And people like us, we're, 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 we're a lot small scale. We're, we haven't got a big platform, mm. but disrupt, we're disrupting the status quo. Bro, you're on the Alex Minister's podcast. You've got a platform. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. But not like millions, you know, no. you know millions. You don't millions. know that, bro. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. I, don't, I don't think I should get to that point. I think that would be a bad it's thing. It's dangerous, it's dangerous. Yeah. Once you can influence too many people, yeah. you're dangerous. Yeah. I just want to. I just want to um, make enough money from the podcast to yeah. just have a nice yacht. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> no, but Im- imagine being Joe Rogan. Imagine having that fucking influence, and uh, and that's what's so admirable about a personality like that. Yeah, because he's got enough influence to 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 change a global perception, right? Yeah. Um, but equally, he's so measured in his thought process and his words. Yeah. Because he appreciates the weight of that responsibility. Yeah. You know, he almost got cancelled. From who? From Spotify. Yeah? Yeah. Well, was that recent? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Maybe, maybe. Wow. Maybe a month, probably months ago. Because he hosted somebody on his platform. It might have been Andy New, but somebody who was conservative. Because, because he leans more conservative yeah. with his ideals. Yeah. As soon as you get on somebody who, you know, they don't like. They were aimed to cancel you, so they tried to get him. Who, off who, Spotify, so, so who, who did? Who guests. tried? Who tried to cancel staff him? Staff at Spotify. Okay. The staff at Spotify. The campaign or something. Yeah, yeah, to get him off. So uh, it didn't, it didn't pull through. But the, you know that that's the that's the danger. Because Joe Rogan's too big to get cancelled. It's like how are you going to cancel yeah, Joe Rogan? Yeah, but if you know, you, if he was to put on his platform somebody who they say is a white supremacist, yeah. he will get cancelled. See, I'm going to do that on this podcast. Get a white supremacist. On. I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> why? Why would you not? I think that's a fucking brilliant thing because I think this is the problem in society. It's like the, the so when you have two opposing views, so you have the white supremacists, yeah. and then and then you have other people on the other side that are like you'll never understand what it's like to be black or to be yeah, a woman, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and it's like, okay, well, if you, if you agree that we can't enter dialogue, then we're at war, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
guess what? We live in the same society and we yeah. have to shop in the same shops. We mm. have to be under the same law system, under mm. the same currency. Mm. So we have to open the discussion. We have to open some kind of discourse. I do agree. This is what I do. As I say, I yeah. speak to yes. white, yeah. white nationalists. Yeah. Some of them follow me on Instagram. Yeah. Some of them like my stuff. Yeah. And we conversate and we share stuff sometimes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I don't understand why you're talking to me. If you cl- I clearly don't like black because, people. Because all black people are so-and-so, but you're okay. Yeah, yeah. This, that's I what th- it is. I, I think that's the logic. That's what it is. I'm thinking, I don't understand. Yeah. And I, I, I have to like calm down when I go through their stories because I'm thinking, it's offensive yeah. but I'm like you know what I'm learning the mindset of these kind of people because if I just if I distance myself from them I don't I don't know what they're saying what they're doing yeah. and at the same time I can understand what their frustrations are and, and what they're what, what annoys them about black people yeah. and a, a lot of it is based on ignorance some of it is based on things that black people do that is bad but you often find that these people overly stereotype or associate all of black people with specific negative stereotypes. Mm. And maybe that's all they experience. Maybe they live in a part of America where every black person around them is criminal. Mm. I don't know, you know. But like, uh, um, generally, n- most of the white supremacists I've seen are ignorant. Mm. And, and that might be common sense, but it's, it isn't really common sense because I always have to look at things from both sides. Look at from from their perspective. Is there, so, is there something they're seeing that could be true, mm-hmm. you know? And I have to evaluate it without unbiasedly mm. thinking myself, if I was not black, how would I perceive it? And so this is, I think, is necessary. Um, and I, I look at, yeah, I think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, um, what were we talking about that before? So we were talking about Joe Rogan. Oh yeah, so so this is what I'm thinking I'm gonna do. I'm gonna t- get someone who seems like completely abominable, yeah. that cannot get a platform on Twitter or anything okay. like that, and talk to them. And, yeah, yeah. and it's not like to talk to them, it's like, tell me about your ideas on race so that we can share them with the world. But it's like let's let's constru- deconstruct everything that you believe, yeah. and 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 you know I, I, I'm open to learn from them, mm. um, and I'm not gonna go because uh, I think this is the trouble. Like my friend who had this uh, this person on the, on yeah, the BBC yeah, Three yeah. program, we go there with our agenda. Yeah. This is how it is, and I'm yeah. gonna go and impose my agenda on that yeah, person. Yeah. That's not really how you have discourse. Yeah. You have discourse by letting the person express themselves, and every time that you come up against a bump, you say, "Oh, well, can you please articulate that for me?" Because because the way I see it, it doesn't really fit into the way I see I view yeah. the world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that if I did that, it would be the most beautiful thing to launch the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Think yeah. about it, yeah. right? Because it would get so much clout, people would like it would get reported everywhere. People would be trying to take it down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and all I'm doing is talking to a human being. Yeah. See, the thing is, the thing yeah. is that I would say go ahead. Yeah. I'm only worried. I'm not. I, I will never stop you. I'm yeah. only worried yeah. that you will get cancelled because yeah. what the, the theory behind it is you're given a platform to hate speech. Yeah. And like that is seen as taboo in this current day and age. So just yeah. be mindful. Is there is a possibility yeah. that you could get cancelled. Yeah. Like they might succeed and you might get infamy from it. Yeah. But it might not be worth the squeeze mm-hmm. you know, for the mm-hmm. juice to get out of it. So mm-hmm. I'll just be mindful. Be careful. I would say, if anything, don't get somebody too radical. Yeah. Get somebody with some soft white supremacist views. Like UKIP or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could get somebody from like, you, could, you should speak to somebody from Patriotic Alternative. What's that? They are a white nationalist group, but they're kind of like a group to try and like, they're like, not white nationalists, but you're white Eurocentric British nationalist group. They're kind of like the new version of UKIP BNP. Okay. And they're a political group, and they go around and they're, they're trying to uh, spread their views all over, the, over, over, over Europe. Uh-huh. Sorry. England and Scotland mainly. Uh-huh. So I would say, if anything, you try and speak to one of them. They, they're on YouTube. They, you know, they're, they're not cancelled just yet. Uh-huh. So they do have platforms in public spaces. I, I follow them on Twitter. They are, in my opinion, open racists. Uh-huh. But they, 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 they don't fully, fully say, I'm a racist. Yeah. 
but I see, I see, because in Twitter you can see what they like, yeah. and they like things that are mocking black people based upon the race, not based upon anything. Based I on activity. So I, I can see. see, oh, okay, I see your ideology. I see. You are racist, yeah. but you don't want to say that because politically it's incorrect. Yeah. So these are people you could possibly speak to and see what their views are in terms yeah. of, because they see me as never being able to be black, British or English because I'm black. And they, they have a scheme where they want to pay people to go back to their country. Wow. So they'll give you like a grand if you move back. A out. grand? Something, something petty, something's dumb. That's crazy. Like, if you want to go to another country, we'll give you, we'll pay you for your travel. It was like a mill. Yeah, a mill, a Thank you. 90% of the population will be Yeah. It. Most I, black people I'm, bla- I'm black. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me, I'm yeah. black. Yes, yeah, so straight up, goodbye. <laughs> Bro, I think we hit two hours, man. Okay. That was beautiful. Do you have yeah. any final like messages or anything? For no, that? I think I think I think people know me now. People know you definitely, <laughs> man. People know me as well. Until I get cancelled for the yeah, having the white supremacist on. But yeah, peace out. There you go, guys. That was the episode right there. How fantastic was that? Don't you agree? You should you should send him a message. I'm gonna put his socials up and send him a message and uh, let him know how much you enjoyed the episode. Um, He's incredible, to be honest. Uh, I feel like when he speaks, he is speaking through me, in a sense. I don't know how to explain that, other than if you imagine that reality or existence is a totality, is a unity, is an absolute sum of one, okay? And you are a part of that one. You are simultaneously that one. And you are separate from that one. So you're dual. Right. But there is only truly one consciousness. Because the moment that your consciousness ends. This thing ends. And what I mean by that is. Before you put your attention to something. It does not exist. It's this Schrodinger's cat experiment. Where you know before you open the box. The cat could be both dead and alive. And the moment you open the box. Reality closes in on that conclusion so with that in mind there is only one consciousness there is only one experience and it is your experience and it's incredibly significant and powerful so do not get caught up in nihilism do not get caught up in in thinking that the material is all that exists Um, you are the big bang what makes you think that the Big Bang happened, then it got to you, and suddenly you stopped being a part of it. You are a part of the Big Bang. You are the universe being conscious of itself. And through that vein of thought, hearing Michael talk, I felt like I felt I was truly high, not on substances, but on in that moment, feeling as if I was looking, I was experiencing him talking through me or me talking through him it was very it was very um trippy and i don't know if i can articulate it well enough uh it was like he was a mouthpiece for for my thoughts really um but yeah it was incredible it was a very fun podcast hey look out look out for um future episodes where i'll have video capabilities this podcast is about to shoot through the roof okay this is going to be huge okay so watch the space and subscribe like it i'm going to be on youtube very soon so watch out for that okay so until next time guys meditate introspect reflect and educate yourselves 
and uh, keep fighting the good fight. It's the only fight there is. Peace.